I'm Benjamin Light and I am the storm. And then you would say, I'm Marker Sparks, the living manifestation of destiny. Wouldn't you be more like I'm Benjamin Light and the storm is coming? And then you get to say, I am the storm. Yeah. Fine. You don't want to be the living manifestation of destiny. I mean, I guess I could. (laughs) You'd rather be the storm now. I mean, I can go first if you prefer to be the storm. (laughs) (laughs) You can't both be the storm. All right. (laughs) At what point in the production of this movie was Tom Cruise? Like, I would like to say I am the storm. Yeah. It's, that the opening scene is is very interesting. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, I guess one of us will have to be the living manifestation of destiny. Shall we? Begin, I'll, shall we I'll be the, the living. I'll be the living manifestation of destiny. All right. You ready? Yeah. Hello and welcome to Headcanon. I'm Benjamin Light and I am the Storm. Hello, I am Marco Sparks and I am the living manifestation of destiny. Not at all extra. I like it. <laughs> We're going to be talking about Mission Impossible Fallout on this podcast. Uh, so it's been a while since we did a, a Headcanon at the movies. You know, yeah. Like directly from the silver screen. But, Sorry uh, for, to everyone who hasn't gone to the theater yet. <laughs> yeah, spoilers, by the way. Um, you should go yeah. see. I mean, if you like action movies even a tiny bit, you should go see this movie. Mm-hmm, I, I mm-hmm, think mm-hmm. it would not be a stretch at all to say that this is the best action movie since Mad Max, easily. I think or Fury Road, be more specific. You know, in this uh, soon-to-be <laughs> the ashes of movie pass movie pass landscape that we find ourselves in, this is a movie that I think it would be justified to spend your your dollars on. Yeah. I think you're going to have a good time. Yeah. Or if you have an AMC near you, you can join A-list. Uh, that movie yeah. passes kaput. <laughs> oh, man. Let's see. Um, so, yeah. Spoiler warning, of course, for Mission Impossible Fallout. We'll talk about a few other things before that. Um, we can do our media diet. Otherwise, I don't know. Are there any other topics you want to bring up besides that on this pod? I really can't think of anything since mm-hmm. we just podcasted a couple days ago. Yeah, I know. We're doing this one a little earlier. We're just so fucking hype after yeah. seeing this movie. Yeah. Uh, what are you watching? Uh, literally today, the fuck did I watch? Um, I watched the latest Cloak and Dagger, and I caught up on the last of the the releases of Castle Rock. Um, All right. How many yeah. episodes of that are out now? Well, they they do the Hulu thing where they drop three, and then they'll do one a week. Mm-hmm. So how many total? Three. Oh, okay. Just so like I, I should probably start watching that soon, or otherwise I'll get behind and it'll feel like homework. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what am I watching? Um, I am watching Person of Interest right now. I just started rewatching it. Uh, friend of the Pod Crystal is asking for TV viewing suggestions, and I recommended that. And then I was like, oh, I should just watch that myself because I like that show. It's a good show. You would have basically a whole first season for it to get where it needs to be. I mean, you could say where it needs to be, but like rewatching the pilot, like even though it is more you know procedural focused mm-hmm. it's still like really good like just the writing quality the production quality like it's a smarter show than than say like a, a csi or you know criminal intent or whatever other thing you're watching like it's a pretty intelligent show right from the get-go can you watch a lot of those those shows you just mentioned i've seen episodes here and there and okay 
NCIS, I think in particular, every time you like see an episode of that at like the gym or something, it's just like, what the fuck is this? Like, it's so corny, you know? I remember my old gym wouldn't play anything on TV if it hadn't. It basically was like an all TNT like channels. So no, this is like, well, like, uh, well, like, remember like Las Vegas? Oh, yeah. <laughs> like that fucking show. Mm-hmm. So I saw the one where, oh, fuck, who was the boss? Um, James Conn is that who's the no actor? no the one who replaced John James Conn is a uh, it was an Selleck actress, I was it huh? Tom Selleck no it was James Conn for a while and then later his character I think granted this is from like the five minutes I would catch in there was replaced by Laura Flynn Boyle oh, okay. and I guess she's like a hard ass and it's like there's a scene where she's like giving them like shit like the latest like she's giving them shit out on the balcony or something and a gust of wind comes and blows her off the balcony what. It just fucking kills this brand new character. <laughs> That's random. Yeah. I don't like Josh Duhamel. That's fair. Very fair. All right. Uh, what do you listen to? Uh, let me pop over. You know what? I'm I'm that weirdo who I went and downloaded the soundtrack to Fallout. <laughs> I, I, got home. I haven't done it yet, but it's it's on my agenda. Let's put it that way. Because, I mean... The soundtrack is fun. I really liked it. I mean, it definitely uh, it definitely feels derivative of like peak Hans, Hans Zimmer. Zimmer, but I'm okay with that because that's yeah. the, that's the era of Hans Zimmer I like before he like yeah, descended yeah. into parody. Yeah, yeah, like the the Nolan Hans Zimmer, like especially the Batman Nolan Hans mm-hmm. Zimmer, perfect. Uh, the new Metric song was fun. Dress to suppress. I need... Wait, there's another one. Yeah, there's a new one. So there's two new Metric songs. Yeah. Fuck. They yeah. got a new album coming out or something. I need to get on that. Yeah, I mean, why don't you put down the person of interest and get back to the metric? Um, uh, I've been just watching to my TV procedural with my gravelly voiced uh, Jesus dude. <laughs> He's such a fucking weird leading man. I mean, I I'll be honest. I could maybe do a whole podcast just on a person of interest. Like, I feel like that's rich, fertile ground there. Like, just the the that character in the way he exists in the show. He's like he's like this expression of masculinity kind of like divorced from sexuality, I guess you would say. Even though there's like flashbacks to his like uh girlfriend that he was like rendezvousing but with. Right? They're not like sexy flashbacks, you know? No, was this Jim Caviezel? Yeah. And there's nothing sexy about Jim Caviezel. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, mean, I think I, the show right smartly steered into that. Like they, I mean, he has like this one chick who shows up occasionally, and they're like, it's like, oh, maybe they're they're smashing on the side. But for the most part, it's like you don't really need romance from that character. He's right. basically Batman. Uh, yeah, but it doesn't fuck. I mean, like, I would believe hardcore that Benjamin and does Batman Linus... really fuck. Oh, and Bruce Wayne fucks, fucks but Batman. I mean, he's a leather fetishist who climbs mm-hmm. on rooftops and goes cosplay dating of Catwoman. Mm-hmm. This dude fucks. Right. Um, but I believe Benjamin Linus probably fucks more in that show than uh, the man in the suit, whose name I forgot. Are you saying that you would do like a podcast about the show or an episode of a podcast about the show? I think I could actually do a full pod on that show. I feel feel like there's enough interesting angles to cover there. Uh, hey. If you you think about that for a while, <laughs> you, if that's true, I'll join you. Sure, because I it'd be like the PLL thing again, where a little bit like PLL in the sense that I think I abandoned it half t- closer to the end of season mm-hmm. one. I, I'd I'd say I think Person of Interest is a show that can it's with good enough to withstand some snark, 
You know uh-huh. what I mean? Uh-huh. You can have fun at its expense without feeling too bad because it actually is a really good show. I think the only risky run of that podcast is like for the first 15 or so episodes. You're like, stick with us. <laughs> okay, just, just, just stick with us. Yeah. Uh, I'm just going to take a quick glance and see. I know there's. I've listened to at least a little bit of one person of interest podcast before. Well, that would be the other reason I could potentially do a podcast on that show. Is I feel like there probably are not many. It was always like this kind of criminally underrated show, or like just it. People didn't talk about it as much as they should have been. Yeah, I can see like maybe two now. And do you know what? You know what surprising podcast comes up in my search for person of interest in iTunes? Uh, would it be a person of interest? By no. Rose Watch PLL2. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I forgot that was an episode of PLL. S1E19. Just guessing. It might be E18. Let's see, let's see where you are. No, I'm just Not bad. 19. 19. Nailed it in one. God damn. Could you ever do like? Could you just like start listing episodes? Like, like what's the degree of accuracy which you could just start listing them in order? I, I would be hard for me to do it in order. I think it's it's really it's like I just have a feel like if you tell me one episode, I kind of mentally start narrowing down like where it is, like what season it is, and then what half of the season, and then I can kind of start to picture like the names mm-hmm. of the episodes. But there's okay. definitely some like early season two, like I definitely like would miss a lot of those. I need to finally do something with that video of you drunkenly acting out the first like four seasons of PLL. I don't think you need to do anything with that. Um, so if you subscribe to the eight dollar level of our Patreon, <laughs> you have access to that blackout drunk Benji. <laughs> to be fair, to give the man a break, he is acting out his own edited video. <laughs> it's always neat to be shown video of something you do not remember at all. Tell me about it. Yeah, where were we? What are we listening to? Um, I'm. I probably said this in the past, but I'm going back onto uh, Church's Love Is Dead. I've been listening to that more. It's a pretty tight album. It's a good album to like put on, and by the time it's it finishes, you're probably done with whatever you're doing. I don't know if we've ever said it in public. I don't care anymore. Churches is the uh, soundtrack of Trouble. Oh, is it? Okay. Well, one, one song is the theme song of mm-hmm. Trouble, for sure. Anyway. What do you mean? Uh, I just finished um, the one I was reading a few days ago, and so I was thinking about starting... Uh, the Woman in the Window is, I think, the name of the book by A.J. Finn, I want to say. Yeah, A.J. Finn, The Woman in the Window. Thinking about it. Hmm. All right. I'm still just reading to all the boys I've loved before. That, I think, could potentially be a future headcanon discussion when the movie comes out. So, okay. you know, stay tuned. We're very close to the movie coming out, right? I think it's pretty soon, yeah. They're doing press for it, so. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think we've covered all our bases. It's time to jump into Mission Impossible Fallout. Mm-hmm. Spoiler warning again. This movie's in the theaters. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I, I saw this movie twice. I'm guessing you've seen it once. I've seen it once. My plan is to see it again tomorrow morning. Right on. I just yeah, realized I, I have like one or two sentences from my opening statement. I guess I was feeling very brief when I wrote this. Okay. Well, I have probably a couple more, so... Mm-hmm. Well, you go first. All right. Um, this movie is very good. I mean, it's very, very fucking good. I loved it walking out of the theater. That's That could be like... I could truncate it right there, but... Uh, 
for a 20 year old film franchise that's constantly reinventing itself, you get the return of the writer director and it's, it still is re, like reinventing itself, even if the plot threads it takes from the previous one and then unravels. Um, this one kind of answers that, that thing that people have always talked about where you have Ethan Hunt, the bizarre man of action. And this movie gets in his dream sequences and his nightmares, his fears. He's not just like your action hero proxy. He's, you know, as we just talked about the living manifestation of destiny and, he has a dark side too, or things he's afraid of too. Um, this movie has just got some great action sequences. It's got some. It's got a love triangle. It's got a very saucy bromance. There's fantastic camera work all over it. Um, let me just say that this is a movie where it has a super small detail where one of the super spies. It suggests that he has a fake identity he uses for evil in the pursuit of hunting down that fake identity. Something happens and he has to potentially adopt his own fake identity to remain undercover in his real life, which just describing that would absolutely bring me into it. But it's a movie where Tom Cruise has literally broken his bones to please us. And I, I kind of wonder what else he would do to satisfy us. But I, I just fucking love this movie. It was really good. Yeah, co-sign and all that. Let me let me just give you like my like here's my quote for the poster is Mission yep. Impossible Fallout throws down a gauntlet in front of Bond twenty five. Like I think a new bar has been set. It's going to be a very tall order for Dana Boyle and Daniel Craig to match this movie. Mm-hmm. Like I don't know what they do. <laughs> if I were them, I'd be like shit. Mm-hmm. Like as far as like spy action movies goes, I think you'd have to go back to Casino Royale to find your closest competitor. Yeah, get the know. fuck away from Spectre. Yeah, definitely not. I mean, this is definitely everything Spectre wishes it was. Uh, it's just a fantastic action movie. I don't think I've felt this particular brand of like excitement and tension in a movie since watching The Dark Knight. I, like, like literally, like that's where I'd put this movie right now in my rankings. It's like it's in that pantheon there of movies like The Dark Knight, where I feel like it just captured a certain you know je ne sais quoi that kept you on the edge of your seat. And had like just enough of uh, a moral quandary that the movie's like staring into and asking you to stare into too, mm-hmm. and just really fucking amazing action set pieces, just so competently like crafted this, put together. This movie is all about how much difference real locations can make. Like you're watching these action scenes in Paris, and it's like. They're actually in Paris. This isn't like they went and filmed some B-roll there, and then it's like here's a bunch of stuff in like warehouses or on green screen. Like, it's it's really neat to actually experience so much that's so clearly shot on location. It's like oh, that is actually him on that motorcycle, or at least they do a good enough job of it that you you'd have no idea if it wasn't. You know, there's there's large chunks of it that are for sure him, mm-hmm. uh, and even with his injury, like. You can. This movie took like three times as long to film, and it, it's all worthwhile. Yeah, I was reading a thing where uh, some people are like, "Oh, this might be the last time we get one of these." Like, I guess the insurance company had to pay out like seventy million for all the production delays. So I read that like it cost a fortune with his injury, and then they recouped a lot of that. How? I I don't know for something like, from the insurance, but like okay. they got a lot back. I mean, that's why they well, the insurance company had to pay though. I think like they're. I think the, the theory is that like it'll be impossible to get insurance for Tom Cruise on the next Mission Impossible movie. Oh, maybe. I mean, <laughs> you know what? He'll have to swear, legally swear, that he won't kill that shark. There are so many shots in this movie where not only is it an incredible shot, but, but you're just like, holy fuck, that's Tom Cruise. And holy fuck, how did they do that? <laughs> you know, like, Go 
go watch the videos of the the, the Halo jump scenes. Mm-hmm. Oh, fuck. Well, just in the they're the, long like, how many, takes too. It's they're not hiding anything. No, and how many jumps they had to do just to even like as proof of concept of this? Well, it's like just he went to like a Halo jump. He went to like the UAE where like I don't yeah. know like there's no law there or something, so he could just do as many Halo jumps as he wanted. Like ten a day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but just like everything that goes in it, like you have to spend a half an hour on the ground, just breathing in pure oxygen. So like you don't like have decompression issues. That's insane. And you risk the bends the whole way down. It's fascinating. <laughs> All right. I, lo- I love, I love how they describe it to the bends and this, like the behind the scenes, like video on YouTube It's just like, you'll go crazy, but you won't even know you're going crazy. <laughs> Tom Cruise is like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> I've been there. It's my whole career. I mean, he was really born to be in movies like this. I, this movie, well, this movie, not only has like the like the the one like goat Tom Cruise running scene, it has like three of them. You know, yeah, yeah. like it they just like keep happening. And it felt like less than the usual Mission Impossible running scenes to me, to be honest. But I didn't mind that because it was. But there like, are like they there did, are three shots in the London chase that are like incredible shots, and yeah. it's like, hey guys, yeah, he's in fucking London, and like we've got this incredible wide angle shot of him racing across, you know, some rooftop in London right now. Yeah. Well, and this movie is very smart about like there's you can always get one great moment. They did a little bit in Ghost Protocol where it's like. Let him be extreme and crazy in front of normal people. Mm-hmm. Like, just like, I'm jumping out a window. <laughs> All right, uh, let's get into the top moments. I I have eight now, but I could add shit. another. Um, I have I have five. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I feel like I'll probably co-sign on Oliver's. But yeah, why don't you run us up to number five? So one I didn't write down, but I was thinking about on second <laughs> viewing was, um, yeah, this is my nine. There is. It's after a lot of the hijinks in Paris, um, but before the the double cross, I think it's where Ilsa Faust is like trying to follow Ethan Hunt, and it's like there's all these like really cool shots through like this like cool French architecture that they're wandering around, and she, he she like keeps picking him up on like the edge of her vision, you know, and eventually like it takes us to this like courtyard area mm-hmm. where like she turns around and like he's standing there behind him, and it's a lot of just like really deep focus. Um, I, I feel like that was like a specific stylistic choice in this movie. They're going a lot with a lot of like really deep shots. Um, mm-hmm. It's not it's not like a typical like flat action movie where everything's kind of foregrounded. Like it's like oh yeah, he's way back there in the background, and she's in the foreground, and the and they start like walking to the side under this like canopy of like a line of trees. Um, mm-hmm. It's just really incredible. I felt like I was watching like an artistic European movie all of a sudden, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, last year at Marion Bad, but with action mm-hmm. and spies. Yeah, so that would be my number nine. My number eight, and I feel like this could be higher. The French policewoman, when they ha- they're about to make their getaway yeah. with the with uh, Solomon Lane, who they've uh, extracted from prison or uh, not prison, let, but let I me don't know, the, the let me call everything with the French policewoman my number six. Yeah, yeah, just the so much communicated non-verbally, you know, where you're just like oh shit you know like how are they gonna deal with this and and he's trying to just be like hey just just walk away just walk away and of course obviously she's not gonna do that she's a police woman you know and then when she gets shot Mm -hmm. he has to make a decision there like that was this movie like really finds ways to put ethan hunt in these extreme 
moral quandaries where he can't, you know, it's, it's the literal impossible choice. Like he can't do what he needs to do. Actually, let me make that my number eight. I do have a number seven, number six. I'm in number seven. I have a number six now. So I'm continuing. Okay. Well, I'm on number seven. Do you have a number seven as well? No, I have a number six. Okay. Um, I think we were just mentioning this. Um, Ethan Hunt running through Paris as Walker walks. <laughs> that character never runs because he's Walker. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Those shots are incredible. The The one that he breaks his ankle on, it's like, mm-hmm. it's first of all, it's probably like the greatest Tom Cruise running shot ever. And it kind of like pans up around and behind them as he just full on leaps, this massive leap over a, a street. And like you get the whole shot all the way to him, like almost falling off the building on the other side as he's breaking his ankle and they use the shot and everything. It looks incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they actually edited it a little bit to not show the full on break. Cause I've, I've watched the video. I mean, that's fine. If they want to do a little CG to clean it up, but like still like the, the overall shot is breathtaking. Cause I've watched the video where he actually breaks the foot and it's one of those things where you want to like throw up instantly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. All right, give me your number six. My number six is uh, it's the moment we teased. It's just the ridiculousness of he gets the knock at the door in Belfast, and the guy in the in the silhouette in the rain is just like, and the warrior says, "There's a storm coming," <laughs> or the <laughs> person says, "And the storm's coming," and the warrior replies, "I am the storm," I and am I'm the just storm. like, I like I kind of elbowed our friend that I was watching with, and I was like, "This movie might be genius." Well, I mean, it starts off like so grim, you know. He's like. Yeah. waking up in the I, I also love they like did a little bit of like open gate with the shooting so you get these like kind of like light leaks coming in from the side mm-hmm. um yeah it looks amazing and he's answering the door with a gun against the wall to like shoot the person whoever it is to get him some Od- the book of the odyssey i was trying to think like i guess there's a little bit of like a husband wandering husband returning to his wife thing going on in this movie maybe i mean like what a- is that does that make Ilsa Voss like uh, Cersei? Um, I don't know. If she has a direct parallel, really. Okay. I mean, he would be he would be Odysseus, and uh, Julia would be um, what's her face? Yeah, Helen. Not Helen. Uh, I'm Not sorry, Helen. <laughs> Helen. Yeah. She's Molly Bloom. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, Odysseus's wife's name. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Not there's Penelope, no... right? Or is it Penelope? It's Penelope. It's Penelope. Yeah. yeah. I'm thinking yes, of yes, uh, and yes, what's the daughter's name? That's the one I can never remember. The daughter? Yeah. You mean, you mean not, not Telemachus? Telemachus. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm thinking of. Or sorry, it's the not, son. Yeah. <laughs> this is a modern day. <laughs> we know our Odysseus very well, obviously. <laughs> it's like we did, and we've forgotten a lot of it. I, it almost makes me wish they had like a henchman who's obviously like the Cyclops or something. You know? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Number six. I well, well, hold on. Oh, sorry. Walker is kind of at the end. That's true. Yeah. Here you go. Boom. But yeah, number six. I, I guess I'm gonna put like two things merged together here. Both the nuke fake out scenes, both the uh, kind of television footage bit that they do at the beginning, and then at the end when it seems like maybe the nuclear bomb went off for about like three or four seconds before you realize it's yeah. just a sunset. Yeah, the fade, the fade, the white the, where we kind of this movie yeah. is is just like just swinging such a heavy load that you're like they might actually have a nuke go off in this movie. Like that's that's the intensity that they're bringing here. Well, can I just say like with the Wolf Blitzer scene, mm-hmm. 
for about the first 45 seconds before I got, okay, this, I get what they're doing here. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh shit, this movie is so hardcore that they are literally going to start in the fallout of these major yeah. nuclear attacks. No, I, I bought it for like the first minute or so, you know, like at first I was like, damn, that, wow, they're starting it that way, you know? And then I was like, oh, okay, I see, I see what they're doing. But yeah. yeah, when it, when you first get the news report, which is pretty chilling just because it sounds so, it's so mundane. It's like, yeah, that's probably fucking exactly what that would sound like on the news. You know, mm-hmm. like we have detected radiation. We believe this to be a nuclear attack, you know? Well, imagine the, the, what will lead to the end of the world happens. This, this thing that we've always feared, especially since nine 11 as, as modern people. And think about how fucking what a bummer it is that when you turn on the news to get this story that you'll never ever forget hearing, it's fucking Wolf Blitzer delivering the news to you. God damn! I want uh, I want Will McAvoy to come out of retirement to deliver that news at least, or at least Ashley Banfield. Yeah, there we go. All right, what's number five? Um, I want to cheat and say a a lot of the Paris chase scenes. Um, because goddamn, there's some great ones. There's, but I'm gonna say two kind of mashed together the one is the one that's in the trailer where he's like he he's come through and he thinks he's in the clear and then he bounces over the hood of the one car and just mm. rolls and he's just like the fuck. motorcycle chase yeah the motorcycle chase that part of it like when it gets when it gets away from like the uh suck at john frankenheimer and ronan aspect of cars but there's one earlier where you just see tom cruise like merging into the massive roundabout at the uh, going the, the other way trump yeah but like there's one shot where like, okay, that could be a stuntman. I'm not so sure. But there's a bunch of shots where it's clearly Tom Cruise because we're practically sitting on the front of his motorcycle as he's cutting through 30 cars. Mm-hmm. And it just looks so fucking good. Mm-hmm. Totally. Uh, number five, I had the halo jump. Um, nice. Incredible. I mean, it's like like two shots seemingly. You know, like there's you get a long shot of the jump out before the lightning strikes, which was just like a shit your pants moment. And then another long shot of uh, the rest of the one down. And like, you're really just seeing that ground get closer and closer. And what looked far away, just kind of a blur of light now is obviously like a, a building, you know, with like a big glass roof. And they just keep getting closer and closer. I don't know how they did that. Um, I don't know. If, I, I don't know if that was like CG in the background. They just made it look really good if they're actually doing it over Paris. But it looked incredible. Mm hmm. Uh, number four, I want to say everything in that bathroom, um, the fight, especially, which I want to talk about more when we get to the fight, but just the, the other little bits, just when the one group of guys comes in and they look over and they can clearly see like three pairs of feet in the mm-hmm. stall and they like all want to join in. Um, I love the when they start where, singing the song. I love that part. Yeah. But after, after they've like killed quote unquote, John Lark. And they've dragged him over to the stall. And then you see this like massive thing of blood where they dragged his body. And you're like, oh, shit. And a bunch of people come in. And Elsa Faust is so genius that she immediately has like a cavil tilt his head back. Like, oh, yeah, we're going to stop the bleeding. Well, and then Cruz <laughs> is like, fucking blood. Cruz comes at the dudes walking in like, oh, you want some of this too? <laughs> <laughs> and they're just like, eh, never mind, dude. <laughs> yeah, these the IMF team would be like, absolutely amazing improvisational actors like it's the, part of their their, their, their way to adapt dream. yeah their their halloween masks and, and you know stuff they do is incredible <laughs> uh let's see my number four when imf turns the tables on mr august walker there with the yes. uh 
the little, little switcheroo with Benji and the mask and everything. Um, you get some really excellent Alec Baldwin in this. And it was like, it was almost a little jarring at first. It's like, oh, wait, Alec Baldwin's doing like good Alec Baldwin. He's not just like doing his, like his Trump impression is funny, but it's not exactly nuanced, you know? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was just like, it was really satisfying to see him like trying again. Did it seem like he had like lost some weight in his face? Yeah, maybe a little. Like a little leaner. Um, and he does, he gets in a few licks, you know, like he's, I don't know if that's some of that stuntman or what, but like he gets, you know, he, he loses obviously, but he gets a little bit of an action moment there. Well, <laughs> talking about the bathroom fight, it's kind of funny <laughs> when you see Henry Cavill like pumping his fist and like getting down at this like uh guy who's clearly a martial artist. He loads expert. his fist like shotguns. Yeah, and then like later he's like fighting Alec Baldwin. You're just like, what? <laughs> well, it's like, yeah, it's not going to go too well for you, Alec Baldwin. But I love that Alec Baldwin, who started off such a hard ass at the start of Rogue Nation, is like maybe the biggest Ethan Hunt fanboy now, like bigger than uh, Benji Dunn. Oh, I don't even have it in here. But when he's having that conversation with Ethan Hunt at the beginning about how he's just like, hey man, like my ass is hanging out here. I switched to the IMF for you, which is technically a lateral move. You know, some might yeah. consider it a demotion. Yeah, and then uh, this, uh, the look on their face when it's like, "Hey, you turned off our plane." Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so number three, um, it's a it's a moment you mentioned. It's when Ilsa follows Ethan to the streets of Paris, and they like finally like meet up and have their conversation about their goals and how they're in opposition of each other. It's just, it's this beautiful spy glamour. I don't um, think they've captured that sort of. European spy John LeCar vibe since the first Mission Impossible. No, no, they haven't. They haven't. And that was clearly a De Palma thing that he mm-hmm. was obsessed with that they kind of threw out for action since then. But like they just look so fucking good. And they're talking about their goals that they both need to doggedly pursue to survive and, and how they're in opposition of each other. And Rebecca Ferguson, again, I have the biggest crush on her. She's so good in these movies. She's so like, just impressive. She looks so stylish, too. Like this is why I say she could totally be Bond because she just looks so fucking. Oh, she's casual. got like an incredible trench coat, like black yes. satin blouse like, or something going on in that scene. Shirt, yeah, and she's just got this like walk that's fantastic. And what's crazy to me is this movie filmed for so long that she ended at seven months pregnant. Oh, really? Wow. <laughs> I wonder if that is like the cashmere stuff because she does well, have like a pretty bulky, uh, like jacket on in those scenes. Yeah, and I kind of wondered though, like. Like when you bring in the White Widow, it's like be like the, the girl in the dress, you know, in a, in a mm-hmm. glamorous sequence. Like I was kind of like, oh, it's not it's not her, huh? And it, it makes a lot more sense once I found out that detail. Yeah. Uh, where are you at? Number three? Yep. Um, I just had the, the motorcycle chase in Paris. That might be the greatest motorcycle chase sequence I've ever seen. Like it was incredible. You were watch it the whole time, literally on the edge of your seat. It's so tense and it's just like, holy shit, how are they doing that? This looks scary as fuck. Like, how, like I don't know how they're getting these shots. I feel like this was something we first saw from Chris McQuarrie in the Jet, first Jack Reacher movie. Mm-hmm. Like that movie is enjoyable. It's not the greatest movie ever, but I feel like you can see the seeds of like McQuarrie's, you know, trajectory from there uh, to here. And there's a, a like a car chase scene. It's like a muscle car chase scene in that movie, where it's just like the it's so much more slick than you're expecting at that point in the movie. Like he seems mm-hmm. to have found a way to film car chases in this really like visceral way. I don't know if he's like, I don't know, shooting it like half speed and like speeding it up and making it look good or like, I don't know how he does it, but the way he films car chases is really impressive. I would go on a limb and say that 
that the Jack Reacher movie is a lot better than even the kindest of of takes give it. Like it's mm-hmm. it's a really really solid, potentially really good movie. Um, and I saw the second one, which holy fuck, that's bad. <laughs> um, yeah, I, th- I I I haven't seen the second one, but my impression is that like that's what you would have expected the first Jack Reacher movie to be. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it's like it's like watching the baddest version of a TV movie. Mm-hmm. you know, on the big screen. Um, there's a, there's a shot in the car chase portion of Paris that I was like, man, where have I seen this in a chase before? And you just reminded me, of course it's in Jack Reacher. Yeah. It's when he just, he keeps the camera like right in front of the car, like feet in front of it. And then like, it does this kind of turn and the camera just perfectly sticks with it. So you're just really in this moment. Like the camera is fucking alive in this movie in ways that like, you just don't see in action sequences where the camera would, does not go away. Does not shy away from what's mm-hmm. happening. It's not shaky. It's not blurryly edited together in a lot of places. Um, yeah, there's a lot of long shots. Like this movie's not afraid to like get a good shot that you can really like stare at and pick apart. Um, there's and, there's one moment oh, in that uh, motorcycle chase, just real quick, where he gets to like I don't know, like a a roundabout or something. Not not the big roundabout in front of the Arc de Triumph. Um, but he gets like he's surrounded on all sides and he just keeps turning yes. around and turning around, turning around. And the street he goes down, you're like, wait, was that there before? Did I just not see that? Yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. It, yeah it, does, it takes like another time to watch it where you realize mm-hmm. it's like the first one he passes. Yeah. But he's not the one he's looking at. So like he, everyone he's looking at as he's turning the motorcycle around, you see all these cops just waiting for him if he goes down that route. Um, but I was going to say like in Ronin. I remember that they did a lot of reaction shots to the various people in the cars and the, and the multitude of car chases. And they were always so lifeless, dispassionate, mm, yeah. engaged. And this movie, it's like fucking real. Like people are like, fuck, you know, like biting lips, like driving. Um, yeah. Um, uh, number two, number my number two, two is, is the halo jump. Um, falling towards the earth is a great sequence of suspense in an action movie. Cause it, ha- like you said, it has a built in timer. Yeah. Gravity's not going to stop working. That tension's only going to get ratcheted up even more. Especially in this and movie, the extra, and they're doing it in like two shots. <laughs> yeah. The extra wrinkle is that you have just this thinnest strip of light fading away as it's sundown. There's mm-hmm. a beautiful shot of the, coming out of the plane. And like there's a cameraman with a camera strapped to his helmet. And, and uh, Tom Cruise just jumps out and grabs that guy. But the shot is so majestic because as he keeps falling, Within like ten seconds, the plane is completely gone. His body has completely like like surpassed it as they're falling. And then it's still it's not just like a jerk off look at the spectacle. It turns in this whole story moment and character beat as he has to go rescue walkers. He's 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 falling unconscious. Yeah, who's been an asshole to him the entire time, yeah. Well like unplugged his like oxygen thing right before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, and it just the fact that like not only do they do that stunt, but they're like, we're going to wait till just the end of golden hour because we need it to happen just at this specific time. You know, yeah. uh, I was reading something and I, I feel like I just needed to do a total deep dive on a, like behind the scenes stuff of this movie. But there's a thing I think I can, I'm not sure what chase it was in regards to, but one of the chase sequences they did in Paris, they did it in like 90 minutes. They were like, let's wow. just go do this like guerrilla style, you know, where <laughs> they like went and did like a whole crazy action sequence in 90 minutes, like with no real setup or anything. They just like ran out and did it. Wow. I I almost wouldn't be shocked with this movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so number one. Oh, I got number, uh, number two. I'm oh, sorry. Number. Yeah, number two. Uh, when Ilsa Faust is fighting Solomon Lane as uh benji's hanging in the background 
I just really love the construction of that action sequence. It's the the tension of like, oh shit, Benji's like dying back there, and then like at one point she manages to like kick a box over to him, like a crate, yes. so he could barely stand on it to keep from choking. But then like as the fight continues, like she's you know starting to get choked out, so he has to kick Solomon Lane. When he does that, his box slides away, and now he's hanging again. You know, um, mm-hmm. I just thought that was a great action sequence. Well, and the movie has kind of set you up with this notion that uh, Simon Pegg's character might die. You really like, think anyone could die in this movie. And you know that like Ilsa Faust, her mission is to kill Solomon Lane. And it's like, you know, this is a character moment now. She has to make a choice. Well, and it's funny is so I said to somebody on Twitter, like the movie does a really, really good job. I think of catching you up. If you haven't seen Rogue Nation, you're not fully in this place of like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. Who are all these returning characters? The movie's pretty good about catching you up. It's um, the the connection that really pays off, though, I think, is the Simon Pegg, Solomon Lane stuff just with, you know, Simon Pegg still clearly feels like something. He was victimized by this guy and he almost died. He did a bomb strapped him in the last movie. And it's like this guy still holds a power over his like subconscious. And then as all this stuff's happening throughout this movie, they're just ratcheting up like that's an that's an unchecked box. Like we're still mm-hmm. coming back to that. And so I thought, shit, they might kill Benji here. Yeah. I thought they might have actually done it at one point. Like, I think he just kicks Benji to the ground. But I thought maybe he might have like kicked him through a trap door and like hung him. You know? Oh, oh yeah, or yeah. broken his neck. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, like I totally would not have been shocked if it was just like snap. There goes Benji. R.I.P. And so uh, my number one, and I feel like a lot of these moments, I I don't know. Like if you asked me in a year, they would all be different because I just saw this you know yesterday. Mm-hmm. But um, it's a great moment when they're trying to figure out what's what's the plan of these like leftover syndicate slash apostles guys and they show up at this mysterious medical camp and they find the doctor in charge there who is julia tom cruise's ex-wife or uh, ethan hunt's ex-wife and you're like oh shit like this is what their plan like his his poor wife and they have this interaction and then do 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 victor laszlo <laughs> west betling her husband her new husband shows up and it's like everyone is like sharing these significant glances like oh fuck something bad's about to happen like minutes from now, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's on the same page. Like the tension's ratcheting up except for Wes Bentley. who just keeps talking, being magnanimous about, uh, oh, you two should catch up. Why don't you have a coffee? I'll go pack for us. Do-do-do. You know, I think it says quite a lot about us that, uh, of all the moments in this movie that we could pick to be number one, we both picked the same one. I knew you would. Cause how could you not? <laughs> I feel like the, the drama and the tension in that moment is it's an incredible setup because, when he sees Julia, Julia, it's there's the drama of he probably hasn't seen her in God knows how long, several years, you know? Yeah. And so there it's that. And then it's like, oh, and she's also remarried. And so there's like the the dramatic uh, conflict in that. And then, oh, know. yeah, this guy, this guy doesn't know about any of this, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wes Bentley here has no clue what's going on. And then the, the terror, she's like realizing she's like, oh, you're on vacation, right? And he's like, no work you know and she's mm-hmm. just like fuck you know like mm-hmm. she knows how bad it is to run into ethan hunt somewhere um yeah. and just the way that he still he he plays it kind of cordial and, and almost bittersweet and as he's talking to west bentley and west bentley like it's if you listen to what he's ta- saying he's like talking about he's like yeah man uh, you know she ran into me when i was like working in new york i think at a hospital and he's like yeah, i would have been you know heart attack at 50 dead at 55 but she talked me into leaving all behind like he's like really kind of like 
giving him his like little like monologue of how this woman changed his life and mm-hmm. Ethan Hunt is having to react to it and and seem like a normal human being while at the same time realizing oh fuck these people all might die like what's his name Dr. Rick Thorne or uh, <laughs> Ethan Hunt's fake name it might be like Ron Thorne or something or Rick Thorne yeah something like that yeah that moment was great when I mean, she looks back and sees that Benji and Luther and uh, Ilsa Faust are there and like the terror on her face that she's trying to hide. It's a great moment. When the whole, I mean, the movie literally starts with this like apocalyptic fantasy turned nightmare with the Julia character. And she comes up in a few more dreams and she's mentioned a few times. So you, it's like, you know, that there's this thread that's, that's not fully untied. That's waiting to happen. And then it shows up. It's perfect. And there was one point where like, he's gotten some information from the West Bentley character and in any other franchise, any other like lead protagonist, the character would have been like, yeah, 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 fuck off. I got it. You know, mm-hmm. Julia, you got to get out of here or whatever. But yeah. it's like, it's not this movie. It's like, like she sends off, like, like she's kind he's of just like, hey, you should, you should come back with us that you took, you know, like you can drive with us and catch up. And he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. You know, well, it's like he keeps turning down his offers. Mm-hmm. And then like this is the final. Yeah. But like. As uh, Luther puts it, like she keeps sending up basically like flares just to let him know, like I'm alive, I'm I'm okay in the world or whatever. And so it's like he's also a spy, so maybe he's not spying on her in person, but like he knows that she's remarried. Oh shit! Now the fucker's right here in front of me, and he's a nice guy. God I don't, damn it! I don't think he did know at that. No, because he he immediately is just like, does he know? And it's like it's then Wes Bentley like walks in. Well, no, the that's frame. that's what I mean. I don't think Ethan Hunt knew she had remarried. Oh, okay. I kind that, of that's the maybe. way I read it. Like he's just adapting on the fly. Like, does he know? No. Okay. And then it's like, boom, I'm Dr. Ron Thorne or whoever, you know, but no, also by the way, like he, sorry, good. I was saying, I took it more that he was aware that she was married, but like, fuck, this is a lot different. And I have to actually meet the guy. I, I did not get that impression myself. Okay. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if it really matters one or the other. Um, also another just detail about this scene, Ethan Hunt is wearing just an archer level tactile neck here yeah um great outfits through this whole movie but here especially like he's never looked more bond yeah uh well any complaints not at the moment like um i know you talked about the make one change stuff i Mm kind of have like the start of one for later but no not really i i just really enjoyed this movie some of the choices felt very strange to me but in a good yeah um the only complaint I could think of, and it would be a minor one, the scene where Luther is talking to Ilsa Faust and kind of explaining like Ethan has only cared about two women. I just mm. feel like there could have been a little more to that. Like if, I don't know. I mean, maybe they intentionally cut it off early by having Ethan show up, but I feel like that that scene could have like touched on a few more things before it ended. I would also argue that it's inaccurate, but maybe yeah. Luther wasn't around as much for the Emmanuel Bayard stuff. You know, I, I just rewatched the first Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. I totally like when I watched that when I was like 15 or whatever, I had no idea. Like, oh, there's all this weird psychosexual stuff going on there. And it's like incredibly mm-hmm. obvious now. Mm-hmm. Like, I think when I watched that when I was 15, I was like, oh, she's cute. But now it's like, wow, they are really laying it on thick. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a weird dynamic that she's she just gets closer shot to at the his end age. Too. Well, she's closer to his age but married to his mentor who's clearly mm-hmm. much older and they yeah. they smashed right they might have had like a grief smash after I, Jim dies i think they might have even before it 
Like I'm not a hundred percent. I could go either way. If they did, I, I feel like it's going to be one of those things where like it was in the course of one of their it's on a mission. Yeah. And so it's like, does and it count? She immediately runs back and it's like kisses Jim and he's just like, mm-hmm. it's meanwhile, mom and mom and pop are losing the, the farm. Yeah. All right. Well, let's just jump into some general discussion here. So I think we already discussed the the nuclear attack. We definitely were both fooled for at least a little bit there. Yeah. Well, fucking wolf blitzer. So you talked about the uh, the like kind of TV thing where he gets the mission. Mm-hmm. I was fascinated because it's kind of a Macquarie thing. That's not a quick like download of info. Like it's involved. It's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot of movies. There's John Lark. There's the Apostles. There's this doctor. Yeah. There's this manifesto that clearly has three different authors at different points. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I thought to myself, what is the life expectancy of the mission voice guy? What do you mean? Well, so like you're this guy who comes into a recording booth. Maybe you're an agent who has a really good like voice, like, mm-hmm. like an experience in back or a background in like like broadcast. But it's like you're reading off these like top secret, essentially press releases to agents. And then what? Like you just go get some Chipotle and come back to the wife and kids. It's like you're like, I don't know what I'm reading. Yeah. <laughs> Or do you just read a whole bunch of random words and they edit it together? <laughs> or maybe they have you do so many you don't know which one is the real one. Yeah. And I, I don't know. It's it's almost surprising they didn't have Alec Baldwin do those just in his, his little velvety you know, voice over there. Well, especially since I want to say doesn't Crudup do the stuff in uh, Mission Impossible 3? Uh, it's been a long time. He might. I mean, can you just imagine the Alec Baldwin version of those? Oh, I wanna, uh, you have Hunt, Alec Baldwin. You, have, you choose to accept it. Yeah, his voice is meant for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I rewatched Royal Tenenbaums not long ago and I forgot that he was the narrator. And I was like, this is perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Tom Cruise pretty much only does action movies now. Like he's 56. He started essentially when he was around 40. He only does action movies. You know, like no more Rain Man or anything like that. It's just weird to me that he can go from that mummy reboot, which was just dog shit, to this. You know, like. I, I don't know. I, I guess he just like cut a deal with Universal and didn't have much creative control or something because that movie's god awful. And this movie is like so top shelf. Like, it's one of the best action movies ever made, I feel like. Yeah. Well, and he's, I mean, that it, the mummy thing was hard for me because I've always been telling people, like, yeah, he's a fucking nut job in real life. No, no doubt about it. I would be afraid to like walk down the same street as him, I think. But he has, he, he's very in control of his image. Like his movies are good. And from what I gather from people working with him is an incredibly pleasant experience. Cause he like will pamper the fuck out of his, his cast and crew. Um, he's, he's, you know, there's that time magazine article about, uh, I think it was time, like a long time ago that Clooney was the last movie star, but I think mm. it's probably Tom Cruise. Yeah, I think so. And I, I feel like the difference between Tom Cruise and The Rock is that Tom Cruise, he's he seems a little more just old school, like like he's in pictures, you know. Whereas uh, The Rock, I think it's more of just like a a media experience for him, mm-hmm. you know, where the the actual nitty gritty of making those movies for the you know people to buy and enjoy while they're eating their popcorn, it's not quite the same for him. He's just like a living action figure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, like compare this to like skyscraper where that movie never takes itself seriously. It's just stupid. It's not meant to be good. It's meant to be super disposable. This movie takes itself incredibly serious to, in a to its way, benefit. In yeah. Way, in mm-hmm. a very positive way. So like you really feel like you said that tension is just gripping at you the whole time. I feel uh, like if you had handed Tom Cruise, the script to skyscraper, he would be like, 
this whole thing with like the guy who loses his leg and you know he's an amputee afterwards that's awesome why is it in this movie like let me like let me send that over to jj abrams and his people will look at it and like make another movie for it out of it for me you know and then then let's just focus on the skyscraper movie now like why well, um, why does there have to be a fire well, on top of it, you're telling the guy who did Born on the Fourth of July, here's this throwaway detail about your character. And he's going to be like, uh, no. Because, I mean, that's the other thing about Tom Cruise compared to like uh, somebody like The Rock and like those Fast and Furious movies. Tom Cruise is really good in these movies, partially because he's a better actor than this franchise needs him to be. Mm-hmm. And so when he's called upon to do stuff. Like that Julia works. scene. Yeah. Yeah. It always works. Because you can, he's an incredible actor. You can see him playing the part with Wes Bentley there, and oh, I'm Doctor Rob Thorne. But you can see the the nervousness and the the ter- paranoia and the terror behind his eyes as he's you know acting in that scene. Well, like I've seen people like talk about how J.J. James made a huge mistake with the Julia introduction or just having the Julia character in Mission Impossible Three. I don't fully agree with that. I thought it was weird to then write her out in a, in a kind of a positive way in Ghost Protocol. And I kind of hate that she's kind of there to like to pull the tension out of Ethan. But like there are a handful of scenes in Mission Impossible 3 where you see Tom Cruise, the great actor, mm-hmm. rising above because she's threatened. The opening of the movie is one. But there's just one when they're on the plane with uh, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Mm-hmm. And he is just he's about to fucking rip this guy's heads off with his bare hands because his wife's in, in danger. Um, well, it's interesting. It's, it's so much better than just a guy hanging off the side of a building, you know? Yeah, it's interesting after MI3, the Ethan Hunt character is fairly sexless for the next few movies. I mean, I guess we you can debate about Rogue Nation. I was not picking up on a whole lot of chemistry, although apparently it was there. Um, oh, yeah. This this movie is kind of throwing it down, saying, oh, no, it was there. You know, maybe Ethan didn't act on it, but it was definitely simmering. Um, I, and he's uh, finally gonna, he's finally going to actually follow up on that in this movie. Like he not only does he get to be more romantic with Ilsa Faust. He also with um with Vanessa Kirby there with the White Widow like there's some smoldering sexual tension there that he just did not have in like uh, Ghost Protocol. Well, sixty percent of that though is Vanessa Kirby. That's fair enough, but I mean it's there where they they just yeah. weren't doing that in previous movies. Because holy shit, Vanessa Kirby's a spotlight blasting sex vibe. I was just expecting her to like sing a little like like uh 40s like. I don't know, like lounge, you know, tune or something like that. Like she's standing up at the mic like that. I was like, oh, she's not going to sing. Okay, that's fine. Well, I mean, we'll get into that scene because I have a lot of questions about uh-huh. everything happening there. But um, the thing I think I was kind of trying to touch upon with the Paula Patton situation of him and Ghost Protocol is there's plenty there they could have done in a different movie. I think those two characters could have had some kind of heat in a different story. Um but also, like, there's something there with, like, he's kind of the legend of IMF that she's well, now I, encountering. I, and he's kind of a weird action junkie. I think there's a little bit of a metatextual thing. After the Katie Holmes stuff, it seemed uh, like movies steered away from putting him in overt romantic roles for a while. Mm-hmm. And so he would just be there. But, it, like, I don't know. It's like he was it was like they were like, no, we don't want you to, like, be too lovey-dovey or you know too sexual or anything you're just gonna you know stand around and you can have pretty women on scene on the screen at the same time but there's not going to be really much going on which is funny because if you go back and watch the original mission impossible like that's all psychosexual there yeah that's what i was touching on with with talking about how you can't help but get 
a Meta Katie Holmes vibe from some of that stuff. But I agree with you about the last movie star thing because I think Tom Cruise is one of the last actors where when you're talking about this movie with your friends, you may not say Ethan Hunt very much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's Tom Cruise is doing this thing. And it's it's like what the character's doing is almost synonymous with his his more larger media image, like you said. So you wouldn't, you know, like, ooh, he's kind of icky with his his women. Like we don't wanna we don't want to deal with that. We don't want to touch that. So we just don't give the character in the movie a romantic interest it's, for a while. So he's got a wife who's in witness protection or whatever, and so he's fine. He's he doesn't need to have any romantic interest in this movie, you know. But we don't want to risk like get, bringing up the hairs in the back of the audience's neck because they have an issue there. It's it's not quite focus group, but it's like, like pre like we don't have, so we don't have to focus group it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. I mean, do you want to go through this movie bit by bit? How do you want to do it? Um, I mean, let's just go with your feeling. I think we already mentioned the shot of uh, August Walker reloading his fist like shotguns, which is amazing every time you see it. Well, also, that, Angela that, Bassett. Sorry, go ahead. I would say Angela Bassett. Like, this, why the fuck is Angela Bassett not in more things? Criminally, she's, criminally underused. She's, she is um, just a fucking A-bomb of presence whenever she shows up. And I, I mean, it's always smart for someone to cast her as a boss because it's like, she's going to fucking walk in any room and own it. But damn, you know, I mean, just that line, you use a scalpel. I use I a hammer. hammer. Nothing against the cast members of Ocean's 8, but if Angela Bassett was in that movie, I mean, like, why is she not in that movie? Shit, tell me about it. Yeah, she was great. Erica Sloan, the CIA director. Just all business. She's just like, that's the job. Yeah. Who's got um, Alec Baldwin's old job? Yeah. For his lateral demotion. His lateral move. Um, oh, I love that. Just a little small talk office politics there. Well, his. Uh, well, but I love that scene because it's so, it's so funny. It's not where you're expecting it to go. He's just like, you had an impossible choice to make. It was either your team or the mission. You chose your team. That's the kind of guy you are. Philosophically, you're not able to choose millions over the life of one person. And I'm counting on that because my fucking ass is on the line with you. Well, he says something like, you see something you see as a core flaw in your being. You're unable to make the choice, you know, between one person and a million. Yeah, God, his dialogue is great in this movie, Hunley's. And I, I think they really kind of hone in on that idea with Ethan Hunt is that even though he is like a super spy, he is not willing to let innocent people die. Like he just can't do it. He won't let his friends die. He wouldn't let Luther die uh, to get away with the mm-hmm. plutonium at the beginning. I like how Luther calls that out later. No. Yeah. Which is funny because Alec Baldwin was in that, which I think is the silliest the absolutely silliest scene in Rogue Nation is the one where they're impersonating the uh, like prime minister or whatever. The Ethan or impersonating Hunt is, the, the spy chief. The one yeah. where he says Ethan Hunt is the living manifestation of destiny. Just all of that, though. It's like <laughs> it's fucking like, great. It became a British farce for a minute. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I think Hunley. I think Hunley. He started the for the last movie as a hard ass, and he becomes the biggest Ethan Hunt fanboy. I could yeah. So anyways, yeah. they. There's the apostles. There's John Lark. There's what's left over of the Solomon Lane. I keep wanting to call him Solomon Kane. I know. I mean, obviously that's what they're going for, but yeah. But uh, so they're they got they let the plutonium cores get away. They do the Wolf Blitzer thing where they fake out the weird doctor. Um, 
the first person who claims to have written the manifesto, which you're going to hear those lines over and over again about how you know you can't have peace without a great suffering, etc. I love that it's class mission impossible though. By the time we're down to like, okay, time to fucking do something, they're like, you've got two hours until this thing. Oh, I know. They're all about like extreme time limits, you know, wins the meet 20 minutes. Oh, okay. <laughs> like I was kind of shocked after they do make contact with the white widow where like uh, uh, Walker has time to go off and meet with his boss. And yeah, I know. Kind of leisurely. <laughs> well, it is. At least it's in Paris. It's not like he like went back to the States or anything. Which, by the way, just those shots are like, like, oh, we're just going to do a shot with the fucking Eiffel Tower in the background at golden hour. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was like, is the halo jump the smartest way to do this? I guess if you only have two hours. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I think you and I both discussed this. Like we independently had this thought was when they're they land on top of the uh, the rave building or whatever, the big glass roof. And they're like kind of like they're getting their equipment out and whatnot and like taking off their flight suits. Like if they had had like just like rave gear below them, just like a yep. mesh shirt, like you mesh, know, mesh see through tank tops. Like they're putting on those like uh, neon like <laughs> here's your glow sticks, yeah, yeah. Here's your glow sticks. Here's your whistle. <laughs> <laughs> You're dressed like Bono from the late nineties. Mm-hmm. Here's your orange sunglasses. Yeah, that would have been incredible. I mean, I, maybe they just like thought it would have broken the tension too much, but. That would have been Hold absolutely on. fucking hilarious. Let me if they pierce did that. your nipple real quick. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, you're halfway there with the fucking mustache. <laughs> you know, I think in in the end, the decision to not shave the mustache for this movie, uh, it's a good one because this movie's fucking incredible, and Justice League is a piece of shit. So yeah, the mustache stays. I kept. You know, so there's a lot. Like when I get to power rankings, I I had to struggle to get a lot of people, and I think I cut a few. I really wanted to put the mustache at like number five. <laughs> I'm <laughs> just really curious. Did. I'm curious of whether or not you ranked um, uh, French Tom Hardy. We'll, we'll find out. I think you know the who brother? I'm talking about. Yeah. No, I didn't. I hated okay. that guy. <laughs> that dude's I totally like off-brand French Tom Hardy. <laughs> he he is like especially if you. A lot of people forget Tom Hardy is the bad guy in the last Next Generation, like Star Trek Next Generation Ooh, movie. Yeah, it's rough too. When he's like super very young. young Tom yeah. Hardy, like throw a sleazy mustache and a Euro trash villain suit on him and that, and he's this dude. His name's like Zolo. Yeah, his name is like uh, Zola. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, this is my fucking loser brother. Oh, can we talk about the Max reference? This is seemingly yes, the daughter yeah. of Max from Mission Impossible 1. I mean, they're really, this movie I could see being the last movie just because they really tie a lot together here. Like, there's callbacks to, like, pretty much every movie here. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got the the mask switcheroo stuff. Like, they did a lot of that in MI2. You've got Max from MI1. Um, Julia, mm-hmm. obviously, from Mission Impossible 3. Like, they're just kind of tying it all in. Yeah. And, like, I, I love it because I've really loved Max in that first movie. Like, um, I, I'm not ashamed to say, like, I had a huge crush on Vanessa Redgrave, like, especially from that movie, even at that age. Like, she's fantastic. Like, she really sells. And, like, they, they have bristling chemistry, her and Tom Cruise in the back of that she car. She likes paradoxes. Yeah. She, like, and she likes paradoxes a lot. Like, what is this charity thing? I want to go to the bathroom first before we get back to this because I, I want to talk about the bathroom stuff some more um okay i thought you said you had to go to the bathroom actually can uh as long as you mention that can i go uh uh, get another beer here absolutely all right be back in a sec 
Yeah, so the the bathroom scene we talked about like the the Cavill like loading up his fist like a boxer. I mean that's that's intense enough. We should mention the this scene. Big. This scene's I mean, incredible. It did not even make my my rankings. You know. Yeah, and it's such a fascinating scene before you get into like what feels like a a wonderfully fifteen minute long chase sequence. The dude is just big. I mean, he's obviously duh, Superman, but it reminds me that we haven't seen being big used like this very mm-hmm. often in the cinema. Probably not since Bane. Like the character who's not just ruthless, but he's like ruthlessly brawny with like this physicality. Well, and then he's coming at like a mustachio train. Well, it's because in a lot of the action movies we've seen recently, there are superhero movies where it doesn't matter. Like people have super strength and whatever. So like your physicality doesn't really matter that much where he's here. Yeah, it does. You know, although I did love that. Like, it? it's like, oh, it's this one dude. He doesn't seem like he's all that like the John Lark person or whoever they think is John Lark. And he beats the shit out of them. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like even that that joke of a movie Spectre, you've got Daniel Craig, who looks like kind of lean and tight compared mm-hmm. to Dave Bautista. And even then it's it's like comical. Like he, it's not it's not it's not dangerous in the way that this is Mm -hmm. with Henry Cavill's character. Um, But yeah, this movie, this fight really gets the mechanics of an immersive fight scene down. It's handheld. It's widescreen. It knows that a side punch looks best in profile. It knows that kicking or punching someone head on looks good straight on or to an angle. It knows how to use when to go to low angle to depict the power shift in the fight. Like when Mm -hmm. Superman tosses John Lark through sugar glass. And then, then the dude grabs the fixture from under the sink to fuck up both these guys. Um, but there's this great shot in there where the guy's like, he's got like Ethan Hunt in like a headlock, with like that, that sink fixture. And that's when Cavill's like pumping his fist to come at this guy. So John Lark like turns Ethan to face him. And there's like this infinity mirror shot as you see Cavill coming right at them. And I just had to marvel that I believe when I timed it, and I could be wrong, it's 42 seconds long, and I think I read it's like 31 cuts. Mm. And, and it, and just, it just doesn't perfect. it doesn't feel like that at all, though. It feels so no so incredibly visceral, and it just I don't know. This whole movie is I feel like an indictment of everything they've been doing with Henry Cavill so far. Like my first introduction to him was on the the Tudors, where he was yeah. like I can't remember he was Lord something or other. I can't remember like what his like family was, but he was just uh, like he was uh, Lord fucks your daughter. Yeah, he's Lord Old Money, uh, pretty boy playboy who's going to fuck your daughter. And he had that kind of je ne sais quoi of like, this is like an impressive physical specimen, but he's also like a little bit venal and sleazy about it, you know? And it's like, I, I don't know, Superman, maybe theoretically he could have been a good Superman with a better script, but like, I think he really excels when he's allowed to get a little dirty. Well, let me just say, so... And I don't think it's a bad thing. I I think the more an actor channels a Christopher Reeve vibe in any way, mm-hmm. the more we just we just latch onto it and we love it. And there's a great Christopher Reeve movie called Death Trap that he did with Michael Caine. And uh, he gets to be a little nasty in that movie, but he's still Christopher Reeve. And I really got Christopher Reeve Death Trap vibes from Cavill's performance here. Well, I think uh, maybe I, the the mistake of the Superman stuff, you know, in the in the DCU movies, is that Henry Cavill is has such a strong tendency towards playing these kind of corrupt and in like you know potentially evil people that like it's hard to do a morally gray Superman without you just disliking him. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, that that bathroom fight incredible ends with the dude getting fucking shot in the face 
Mm-hmm. Uh, also, cool, just, just talk about the like the crazy like Hermione Granger as an adult like pantsuit thing that Rebecca Ferguson is rocking there. She looks flawless. She mm-hmm. looks amazing. She never looks. She doesn't know how to look bad. Um, also, but also, you get a little bit of the Ghost Protocol like esque thing of the lack of technology where Cavill just beats the guy in the face yes. with the bag that has the laptop in it. You really feel it too. The sound in this movie is great. Oh, yeah. Oh, and then I love that Tom goes, I drag him in the stall and he whips open the thing and he's just like, fuck. <laughs> there goes our masks. Which I just, I love these movies. That's part of the reason I love Ghost Protocol and that, that sequence was just like, let's just hope they've never met because we don't have masks anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, this movie just, it really captures that European, like John O'Carr spy vibe. Like, even there are times when even Sloan, I was like, what's well, not sure, or can you trust erica sloan the cia director like maybe she's in on it too i'm not sure like it's it does yeah, that good spy movie thing where you're like you're not totally sure people's loyalties the whole way through i think you're halfway there this is mm-hmm. like tinker taylor soldier steroids uh, it's um, i think i tweeted it's like ethan hunt ate a john lecar novel you know it's like it captures the vibe while still having like insane action and stunts and whatnot you know yeah um yeah so anyway so Flash forward a few minutes later to the White Widow, uh, who has this great introduction where she's just got a microphone. She's on this circular stage in front of this group. She looks of people like she's about VIP to sing. Lounge. Yeah, she's about to do like a torch song. Like she looks like she's about to like lay down on a piano <laughs> while, while Jeff Bridges plays a tune for her. Um, it feels like this is a charity remembrance for her mother. I guess um, who loved yeah. paradoxes, but it's like what fucking charity is this? This woman who was a uh, the outspoken arms dealer arrested by the CIA <laughs> back in the nineties. Well, presumably she she found a, like she cut a deal with the CIA and has just been kind of playing all sides, uh, you know, against each other ever since. And then her daughter but, continuing the family trade. It's like they have this. It's this super exclusive fundraiser where you need like a special wristband to get in uh, with like an yeah. RFID tag on it. Yeah, who even knows what's going on? I love the way there's just Which like is all these happening dudes inside of a rave, happy inside of an insane like massive rave. Um, the mirrored corridor they have to walk down to get to it is incredible. Just the shots of that are amazing. Uh, there's well, all these like random henchmen mirrors. dudes. Mm-hmm. In any kind of spy movie dealing with identity issues, you just got to have like copious amounts of mirrors oh, yeah. <laughs> everywhere. It's it's a necessity. Um, but so when they first walk into that back room, the the White Widow's like little lounge area, I just got from the camera work. I don't know about you, this intense like Kubrick vibe. It, Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no. She's the, like looking the, around the room, the and set, looking at all these like bodybuilders in suits who are just like 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 wolf fucking him with their eyeballs. Yeah. Well, and they're just like you keep on looking around, and it's like, oh, here comes some more like hoodlums and henchmen, you know, just like standing around glaring at him. Uh, it also makes me think of later when he's at like the funeral inside, like uh, I don't know where they're at. Some like I don't know if that was like a specific famous French church or wherever they're at, but uh, it, I mean, it probably is. But when everyone's like coming at him from all angles there, he's just like, I'm sorry. <laughs> I do yeah, apologize. The lower light in that like backroom lounge area as he's just looking around these guys and the way the camera is just kind of slowly moving. I was just in my mind playing the like eyes wide shut, like mm-hmm. dun, 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 you know, kind of theme over. I was like, Fuck. Uh-huh. and then the lighting in that movie, by her, the way, fucking incredible. Yeah. When he has to say it on eyes wide shut. Mm hmm. Oh shit! Yeah, well, like especially like that party they go to the beginning. That might that be the best the... lighting in any movie I've ever seen, personally. Yeah, yeah. Cooper knows what he's doing. He's he's 
pretty good at that. Um, but when he's like, he's like flirting with her and he's like, oh, there's some, there's some bad dudes here to kill. You know, maybe you think they're here to kill you. Maybe they're here to kill me, whatever. And she kind of looks over like who? And it's like, maybe all these fucking bodybuilders in suits. <laughs> and she's like, oh, at least it's not John Doe. I like John Lark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What'd you think about when she kisses uh, him later? I love that. People. I love the bit where she kisses oh, okay. him later. I mean, it's like, a, it's a very predatory kiss. Uh, not like sexually predatory, but just like like a like an animal almost like i i want to sample you so i will you know i want to know what you're about at the same time i kind of thought like he'd be like well that was weird and like take three steps and pass out because she poisoned him or something Mm -hmm. i i guess i read it just as her like this guy is such an enigma he's like he's i think she commented that he's like very attractive before you know but he is seemingly a complete monster and is like you know murdered children and whatnot like she just she just has to know what he tastes like. I don't have a line. <laughs> yeah, but also you got to figure because we find out that she's like a CIA yeah. operative, essentially. Like anyone who comes into her little box of of operation, like she's completely safe. So yeah, it's like almost like you know encountering a shark in a mm-hmm. cage and like kissing them. Yeah, like you said, sampling. I think that's the perfect way to put oh, it. She's she's got a fucking butterfly knife under her dress. I love that. Well, the first time he stabs the one guy. Mm-hmm. And everyone's watching, and I was just like, "Oh, this is going to be great." How do people react to this? And he stabs the next guy, and you're like, "Wow, this is just a fucking stab party!" And you're all here to honor this dead arms dealer. So, what are you going to do? Is anyone going to freak out? No. And then, yeah, she does the babe in the dress shot. Here's some leg. Here's a fucking butterfly knife that matches the ensemble. Um, also, well, it, it is until the wrong? gunshot that like everyone fr- really freaks out. There, yeah. Oh, because knives are just sexy. Mm-hmm. I want to say they play a little hint of the uh, opera from the previous movie on the score and some of the Rebecca Ferguson scenes. The opera when she was introduced. In it wouldn't shock me. Yeah. Uh, but God, Rebecca Ferguson is a great action star. She's got a move, which is like that, like, I'm going to sit on your face and then maybe strangle you or flip you over thing, which is not a bad way to go. I mean, for I think whoever's dying. The, the Black Widow in the Marvel movies has a similar move. I'm guessing that that is probably a very particular martial arts move that's taught to people, especially women who don't have a lot of body mass who like, yeah. they need to be able to get leverage on someone. Um, so it, it makes sense to me that she tries to go to that move at some point on Solomon Kane. And he like, he has like a counter move for it to get out of it. Well, so for a lot of articles talking about rogue nation, they'll use this one image of her and it's from, there's a scene where it's after the opera and she's been brought back to uh, Solomon Lane's hotel room. Mm-hmm. And she has to kill one of the guy by doing basically that move. And so the guy in the still is like laying. He's been he's been rendered unconscious. He's like laying on the ground. She's essentially squatting over his face <laughs> in this like kind of prone action pose. But it just looks like she's about to like pee in his mouth. Mm. And I always think that's funny. It's like, oh, here's an article about on you know, some film website talking about like oh, this is a fresh new action movie. And I'm like, this is. A, this I'm just is glad we got I'm here in less than eighty minutes. Like, color. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Um. Anyway, so age-wise, too, some of his action scenes, I had to remind myself that Tom Cruise is the same age here as Roger Moore was an octopus. He, I think you can see it a little bit. There's something about his posture that looks a little different from previous movies, hmm. which is fine. You know, everyone's allowed to get older. Um, how, is this movie, to, right? how is this movie not rated R? This is like, yeah. it's pretty bloody. Um there's some curse words. It's incredibly intense. I mean, I guess they just really, really push that envelope as far as they possibly could. I yeah. mean, uh, Kyle's face at the end of it there, Walker, 
It's all like burnt yeah. off. He's like oh, he's yeah. two faced. Yeah, well, like the one eye is just basically like swollen shut. Yeah, I like when he uh, he's who he thinks is talking to Solomon. And then he's like, "Why did you have to make this all so fucking complicated?" Yeah. Well, and that, so that scene is fascinating. So we get this great kind of like play with uh, their plan is to impersonate. They've they've captured Solomon Lane. They're going to impersonate him. It's a bad thing. Alec Baldwin's shown up. Like he's gotten the theory that's been pushed by Walker that Ethan Hunt has always been John Lark, and now he's pretending to be John Lark and blah blah blah. And uh, they they pretend to knock out Alec Baldwin. And this is also the point where where. Uh, Hunt or uh, Hunley, played by Alec Baldwin, pointed out like if you go rogue, this guy's going to hunt you down. And I want to say in the trailer, Cavill's line is played more villainous, like "That's the job." Mm-hmm. Um, but I just no love it. He finally gets angry. He finally gets angry. And he's just like, "Are you in or out?" It's like I'm in. In, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I really enjoyed Cavill's whole performance as this just blunt instrument, like. It's completely amoral, you know, it's like, seem like even up till close to the end of the movie, it was like, I could still buy that. He thinks he's working in the best interest of the CIA. You know, like, well, so he admits now that he's actually the guy who wrote the manifesto, mm-hmm. but he so wrote it. Just, it's not Solomon Lane, but seemingly didn't believe it. Like just wrote it. I don't know. As, later, a, as a means to an end. Well, later, though, he's talking about how, like, these horrible structures of our world need to be brought down to something better. I mean, he's he's seemingly, like, eschewing the same party line as Solomon Lane. Mm-hmm. And it may just... It, part of that, I just wonder, like, at a certain point, a spy has to commit. You know, like, yeah. at, you know, if they're blown, they have to... Uh, what do they call that when a spy when they defect right it's like at a certain point they have to defect and like just become a spy for the other country now and they just have to go with it like i kind of feel like maybe it was a little bit of that too where it's like all his other options are gone like his cover within the cia is blown and so now he's just got to be this other person and he just adapts Mm. to it Mm, maybe how badly did you want ethan hunt to like rip off the mustache oh that hurt. I mean that that (laughs) dude the kill scene on that dude is pretty fucking brutal for a (laughs) pg-13 movie yeah. I was like, damn. Everyone in the audience was like, ooh. I don't even mark. I just love that those two guys survived the initial helicopter crashes. <laughs> uh, Ethan not killing the French police woman. I feel like this movie, they finally kind of figured out a little bit of like where Ethan Hunt's like moral horizon is. And they're mm-hmm. like, we're going to keep pushing you towards it now and see how you react. Yeah, especially but like like you said, it's it's innocent people, and because in like Mission Impossible three, there's a point where he's got a machine gun and he's just like mowing fuckers down. It's not that uh, it's he's not Batman where like he just won't kill at all, but like he's not going to let innocent people die to achieve his goal. Yeah, depending on how he's coded them. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, there's a there's a hum, humanity there, and it's kind of funny because they've teased even from the first movie like Ethan's pretty good about like reading what's really going on in a scenario or anticipating. Um, like he's, he's imagining how, uh, Jim Phelps has betrayed them. Oh yeah. As well, they're, as he's meeting him. Going what did you think like, of his, uh, imagination of like the raid, like the, the first, uh, extraction of Solomon Lane? There? I gotta, I was going to say that, that, that's what I'm referring to is when he imagines that he might mm-hmm. have to kill an innocent. Like there is something about the camera work there that I was pretty so, terrifying. 
Well, there's a great shot when the one, like the armored vehicle comes around the corner and it just like lands right in front of where the camera is and we stay with it. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I was fucking blown away by this camera work. I really was. On well, just uh, the look on his face as he pulls his mask off and he's going to shoot this poor French policeman right in the fucking yeah. head. Yeah. Like, and that's all like in an instant. He's thinking that as he's talking to Max's daughter there. Which I don't. Do we ever get a name yeah. for her? Is she just the White Widow? I thought that maybe we heard her name, and then immediately thereafter, she's only referred to as the White Widow. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Which is perfect. It's a spy movie. Let her mm-hmm. be the White Widow. Yeah. Let's see what else haven't we covered? The chase scenes were incredible. I'd really love to know how they did some of them. Like. I like, did they film that all on an empty street and just put the cars in after the fact or something? Cause man, you really feel like the, even with the sound, it sounds like he's like whipping between a bunch of cars and traffic. Mm-hmm. Also, there's some shots of uh, Ilsa Faust on her motorcycle where she's like racing down these like arcades and whatever, like between all these pillars. And then there's like a kind of like a, I don't know what you call that. It's like a Doppler effect on the soundtrack because she's like racing through so many openings. You know? Oh, yeah, with the sound. Yeah. Yeah. She's so good. He runs right over her. No hard feelings. It's the job. I like how Benji gets <laughs> to say that back to uh, Walker there after they, they punk him. Yeah. <laughs> And there's stuff I uh, genuinely didn't see coming. Like when he's like, when he crashes on the motorcycle and you're just like, ooh, and then he just like pulls out a knife and he's limping away and you're like, what's he going to do? And then they like surround that like bush area and it's like, oh, he like cut through through, through the catacombs underneath. Like that was pretty clever. Well, I kind of, yeah, I, 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 I remember like that was in the trailer where he gets hit. Mm-hmm. So I was waiting for that. But when he dives into the bushes, I was just like, that's just like an animal being hunted and just trying to. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a shot earlier in the chase where he's driving incredibly fucking fast on the motorcycle. And it's like, you're racing behind him as he's like headed forward toward a cross street where there's all these cars zooming by in the cross street. And he like perfectly times it to go between them. Like that was mm. one of the shots where you're just like, Whoa, like you, like your palms get sweaty watching that. You're like how the fuck did they do that? You know? Yeah. Yeah, just the the this movie has just the I mean, if we're not touching upon it perfectly, it hits the right balance of like the emotional nature to the complicated spy story with just fucking unrelenting action sequences. Yeah, just like really amazing action sequences that really look like they did it, you know, like through whatever combination of stunt work and maybe kind of like careful CGI and whatnot, like you really believe they're doing it. It's not like a comic book movie where everything just looks perfect and you're just like, yeah, whatever, you know, you'd be dead if you did that. Like here it's like, wow, I guess they did that. Yeah. Yeah. One bit I I loved later, um, Ethan Hunt doesn't know how to fly a helicopter. Really? I like that. Like, I like that they, yeah, it wasn't like, I mean, he, he manages sure, but it's like, not like he's like, oh yes, he can also fly a helicopter. You know, he's just like, all right, what do we got here? We got airspeed. Meanwhile, like he's he's relying on the guy in his ear to like tell him the guy, the computer. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, um, Tom Cruise apparently spent 2000 hours getting certified to fly helicopters. Of course he did. 
mean, is is this the best helicopter combat scene you've ever seen in a movie? Like, I feel like the, sure. the aerial battle here is pretty incredible. And like, eventually, well, the, Cavill figures out, like, oh shit, he's just trying to ram us. <laughs> this guy's fucking insane. Yeah. With the uh, the fucking payload and all that stuff, when he first falls off the the bottom of the helicopter mm-hmm. and like lands on the payload. God damn. I love how they would just like have these shots of Walker in the foreground and it's like there's the other helicopter in the background and there's just some fucking dude like climbing up a rope, you know, it's like if you yeah. just turn around, you'd see that there's somebody after you. Mm-hmm. I don't know how they did those <laughs> shots. The nice thing is that they're in the middle of nowhere, so I guess as a production you have a little more control. But I guess this over was it. it was shot in New Zealand. It's supposed to be cashmere. I gotta say, like just the word cashmere, like if you can work that into your movie as like the location of a, a showdown, that's pretty goddamn cool. I'm I'm maybe like slightly bummed they didn't get the rights to cashmere. Oh, to play the song? Yeah. I mean it was it, I'm sure they could have found a place to work it in. Like that that music would have worked for this, I think. Hmm. I mean the the soundtrack would have it, like the, the guy had like had covered it into the score somehow. Mm-hmm. It would have yeah. Really if they could have like just worked in those chords into the soundtrack. Mm-hmm. I really like. There's like a super like I don't know like chopped up like techno version of the Mission Impossible theme when Solomon Lane's like helicopter is landing in Paris. You know the sequence mm-hmm. I'm talking about. It's like just before the yeah, extraction. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it's interesting they uh, they bring back the kind of like tease of the the film thing um, from uh, the Ghost Protocol because I don't think they did that in uh, in uh, Rogue Nation, did they? What do you mean? Like in the credit sequence wise, you don't see like like images from from the movie you're about to watch. Oh, you know, I'm like, not like they do sure. in this one. I'm I'm not sure. I I might want to go rewatch that very soon. Anyways. Uh, I can't remember. I know that movie starts out with like Ethan Hunt. There's like a big, he does this big stunt on the side of an airplane and then he's like on the run for a little while. Mm-hmm. Well, he goes and gets the mission. No, he mm-hmm. first goes into the mission from or from the record shop. I, that's after his stunt. Girl. We talked about this last week. Yeah. With yeah. It's after the stunt, but that stunt, that, that was what we were talking about last time is that to me, that stunt, while cool, it has no like basis in the story. No, it, it does here, a little like, bit. I'm, I'm pretty sure it does a little bit where it's like, Mr. Hunt, uh, the intel you just, you know, whatever mission you just went on is part of the syndicate or whatever. Yeah, but it's not the same as like the way they worked in those sequences into like Ghost Protocol. It's not, it's not as directly tied into it. Yeah. It's just like, hey, that mission you just went on, that's involved with this thing called the syndicate. Yeah. Poor Tally. Man, twice now for her. Mm hmm. What else can I die in? I mean, let me let me ask you this. Just just in like a hypothetical, okay? Yeah, hit me. You're a super spy, international super spy. Yes, I am. Thank you in, in your youth, you got married, love your life, but you know it. Uh, just the work called it. Just it never really worked out. You guys had to go in your my separate youth, ways. Mm-hmm. By which you mean when I was fifty when years old, forty. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you guys had to go your separate ways, but uh, you know you still try to keep in touch here and there. She sends up a flare. And uh, you haven't seen her in a while. And then you run into her in the middle of a mission in Kashmir. And uh, she's there with her new husband, Wes Bentley. Like, what's your first reaction? 
It's uh, going to be a little bit like when uh, Toby returns to the office. No! <laughs> God, no! I feel like uh, ever since... Um, I I wonder if maybe they should have had him shave or something, because ever since The Hunger Games, I'm like, oh no, it's Seneca Crane. <laughs> like, whenever yeah. he shows up. Well, so in, it, it's funny is that I don't know that you really needed her. I'm glad they brought her back. I'm glad they did the story they did. I, I'm glad the way it ended because obviously I, I ship all things Ilsa Faust. Um, but I mean, like after Ghost Protocol, I don't know that you really needed to bring back her character. Apparently, I, I saw some quote from Tom Cruise where he was like, oh, people keep asking me like what's going on with Julia. So we figured we'd you know do that in this movie. Okay. Um, and I kind of wonder again about Ethan Hunt's like life because – to my mind, I, I always assume that like Luther and him get along and Luther's just like, this is my work acquaintance. And well, we're like, Tom, like Ethan Hunt's like, this is my best friend. Well, Luther. Ethan Hunt's just like, this is my best, best friend, Luther. He is my conscience. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you know, when he wakes up at the beginning in Belfast, first of all, he's he's sleeping on like an air mattress with no blanket or anything in some like weird nope. like warehouse or shack or something in Belfast. He's sleeping with a gun in his hand. So like, yeah, things are going good for yep. Ethan Hunt. Yeah, yeah. <sighs> goals. Mm-hmm. Hashtag goals. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me a little I bit mean, of... Uh, I'm going to answer every door from now on. A little bit of like, I don't know, was that maybe season three of Homeland when you're like getting to know more of... Uh, what was that Carrie. character's name? Not Carrie, but the other... Her like oh. eventual love interest. Yeah, yeah. Where he's just like sleeping and like on the floor in a sleeping bag and whatever place he's crashing at, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, is there any other stuff we want to talk about before we get to make one change? No, I mean, just I was just kind of shocked how long the action sequence goes on at the end of the cashmere, and it's perfect. Like it's it's the right it's amount. It's a of truly impossible it mission. You know, it's like how are you going to accomplish yeah. this? Well, as they give you like the the like kind of convoluted, but like sure, what the fuck? Like. uh Oh yeah, we finally found a way that you can deactivate the thing. You got to pull the start one the thing countdown. out of the. Yeah. You start the countdown. Pull the thing out of like the remote control, and then also do the stuff to both bombs simultaneously. <laughs> <laughs> but just the balance between what they're doing, like Ving Rhames and Julia, and then like like Benji and Ilsa and Solomon Lane, and just the the non-stop fight between Ethan Hunt and Walker. Yes. I just love the look Walker gets on his face when he sees Ethan. He's like, prick, you know, whatever. And, and he's just like, all right. And he just like reaches behind him, pulls out this like fucking giant gun. 50 caliber machine gun or something. Oh, shit. Um, yeah. So make one change. Uh, I don't have it fully thought out. I, I would potentially do more with. Um, so I guess the first time the movie kind of like, oh, okay, it, it stepped out of line for me. It got me kind of thinking a different way was when Walker goes and talks to Sloan mm. in Paris and he's, he's pushing this theory that, that Ethan Hunt has always been John Lark. And you're like, well, obviously Walker's the bad guy. And then it kind of fades. You don't, you don't really do anything for about a half an hour or so until like he, he finally confesses to what he thinks of Solomon Lane in underground London. And I don't know. I, I was going to say, like, maybe that's a problem. Maybe it's a little bit weird. But then I was just thinking about, we're talking about the first Mission Impossible, where halfway through the movie, Ethan has deduced that uh, 
the the Jim Phelps character from the TV show is the bad guy. So I don't know. Yeah. Other than that, I'm not so sure. I, I need more time removed from the movie. Mine is very much along the same lines as yours. Um, maybe don't reveal his heel turn quite so soon. And I think what puts a real exclamation point on it is when he hands over the phone that's not damaged. Like you're supposed to get like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah, a that's, yeah. that's a planted phone. He didn't give her the real phone. If there is a way they could have written around that so that you don't, you're not sure, then it would have been, I think, a little more interesting in the next part because you just really don't know. Like, does this guy actually believe that Ethan Hunt is John Lark or is he completely shady? You know, especially since like you get the great introduction to him when he first shows up and like Sloan is like, this is Walker and Alec Baldwin's like, oh shit, his reputation proceeds. And then like later, Ethan Hunt's just like, yeah, I know you. You're the reason we don't have like any living witnesses to like identify John Lark. Well, that, and it's that like, could be sinister. I'm waving my arms at you. Well, that's the thing. That could be sinister, or it could just be like this guy's just a fucking immoral killer who works for the CIA, and like he's just not into the uh, the whole IMF, you know, Halloween show type thing that they do. He's just like, no, I just fucking kill he's, people. He's the leveler. Yeah, yeah. like he just. I'll, comes in the landscape and ruins it what's the thing hunley calls him he says uh, uh, sloan's number one plumber i love that description yeah yeah um like, look, yeah i'm a spy i just i need to keep an immaculate mustache mm-hmm. that that's would be my, my change affectation. or maybe that they're both wearing rave outfits when they take off their flight suits in paris mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> just like glow six <laughs> check pacifier check booty shorts like silver booty shorts let's do it all right let's do our power rankings all right oh this was this was tough in some places um i have 11 can you guess who number 11 is 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 number 11 fake tom hardy and or the mustache no no it's not okay it's uh it's a man named patrick aka west bentley Oh wow! You didn't even, you didn't even put him higher. Interesting. I mean, where else am I going to put him? I don't know. Um, I I found it very interesting to hear his like incredibly sincere story about how this woman has changed his life. Where like that's the last thing on Ethan Hunt's mind right now, but he still has to play wrong with it. I loved it. Mm-hmm. Just like, like I said, if this was Archer, this was Sterling Archer. At a certain point, he would have been like, <laughs> "Could you just shut the fuck up, man?" Huh? I would love to, to see something. the Archer version of this movie. This guy really, Lana. After finishing Danger Island, I gotta say I am maybe ready for Archer to end. Really, I I'm still on the um. Not, not I think bad. I'm still on the forties one. Maybe I can't remember. Oh, Dreamland. Yeah, it's not bad. I mean, it's Danger Island's not a bad season of the mm-hmm. show or anything like that. I don't. T- I won't tell you where the next season goes, but it's mm-hmm. where it's always needed to go. But okay. uh, space. I it's know. like you're. Yeah, space. You, it's like they're doing the same thing over and over again. It's like maybe, maybe it should go, maybe or just I don't know. Maybe stop with the locale changes and just get back to the basics. Yeah, I don't know. Well, presumably, don't you have to do a season where you do go back to just like, the CIA or, or yeah, ISIS getting or Archer out of that coma or whatever? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, uh, so, yeah. Do you have eleven or ten? Or I'll just say that my honorable mention will be the mustache, but no, I have ten. My number 10 is Solomon Lane. You know what I love about the mustache is that like, that's like a part of film lore now. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you were looking forward to the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, I almost would have, I, I would have not minded at all if it had got like a separate credit, like Henry Cavill and introducing Henry Cavill's mustache. <laughs> That's the job. And then if like they did a whole ridiculous thing or halfway through the movie where it's like, actually, Augustus Walker is a fine CIA agent. The problem is, is he's symbiotically bonded to an evil mustache <laughs> who sometimes goes rogue. We will do whatever we want, Walker. <laughs> yeah, I saw that trailer again today. Uh, but yeah, number 10 is Solomon Lane. I mean, he works just fine. Obviously, he spent like two years having a massive like grudge boner against Ethan Hunt. I'm not a huge fan of... I forgot the actor's name already. Um, oh, I gotta say, props to them for like, Harris. making this character at all interesting. Because I was not really feeling him in the last one. But like they managed to make him feel like the fucking Joker in this, at least over a little yeah, bit. Good job in elevating him. Like he's not just like a, a, a former spy who's gone rogue and gone to business for himself. He's now like a, a philosophical anarchist. <laughs> um, I believe that I read he's like a, an intense de- devotee to Stanislavski's method. Sure. So he's probably like a, a lot of fun to work with mm-hmm. on set. <laughs> Uh, let's see my number 10, number 10 it was hard to rank these uh, and i feel like she could be anywhere higher as well but julia um big fan oh, of michelle okay. monahan yeah i know I, I feel like she should be higher but there's so many other great characters here too um really enjoyed her scenes and the fact that yeah, she came to help one. she came to help with luther at the end there well and just the the great moment where someone's just like you need to like send her on her way like help her like tell her to go and he's just like well, where is she gonna go yeah, where is she gonna go? Yeah. Well, oh, I what like, do you think? Uh, sorry, go ahead. Huh. I was like, what do you think Ilsa whispered into Julia's ear? I think that's our our new loss in translation, pretty much. It's not much. I mean, it's probably just like, thanks. <laughs> is this dick still working? No, it's not that. It's probably like I'll take care of him or something like that. Um, I mean, it is interesting that this is a movie that ends with uh, a failed, you know, ex a failed marriage, ex wife, where everyone's. Everyone's happy about it. You know, they're all feeling good about things. Mm-hmm. All right. What do you got for number nine? Uh, shockingly, this is where I put uh, Patrick. Um, West Bentley. I liked it. I liked that he's in each of his scenes, like, like a little bit too long. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think like he has a line at the end. Presence that keeps showing up. Yeah. Like, I think he figured it out by the end when like the entire CIA showed up. Right. You would think like, oh, yeah. a lot of, uh, a lot of black helicopters showing up here. Mm-hmm. I should probably go. Yeah. Yeah. My number nine was the white widow. Uh, just wow. very, very much enjoying her kind of sultry turn there. It's you need, you need a character like that in a spy movie, a amoral femme fatale who could seemingly at any moment, just like put two in Ethan Hunt's head or like try mm-hmm. to have sex with him. Mm-hmm. And, and just smile with the greatest of glee at mm-hmm. both. And just not, she's never really taking it all that seriously. It's all like a little bit of a game to her. Well, and just, it's almost like Vanessa Kirby is like sampling Vanessa Redgrave. Mm-hmm. In, and, and also, I'm thrilled that they cast Vanessa Kirby in this role rather than Vanessa Redgrave's actual daughter because I've never been a huge fan of hers. Sorry. Who's her daughter? Um, is it like Lynn Redgrave or is that her sister? Uh, I think that's if you hadn't asked me, I could have told you her name. Gemma Redgrave. No, I was thinking of. Um, oh no, I'm thinking of. Some, I'm thinking of uh, Jolie Richardson. 
That's her daughter. Yeah. Natasha has is, is left us. Let's, uh, let's Wait, leave me Natasha some Richardson is related to Vanessa mm-hmm. Redgrave? No, Natasha Redgrave. Oh, Natasha Redgrave. Oh. Nata- sorry, Natasha Richardson. You're right. Yes, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And then she has a third child named Carlo. It's not Zola. No. Uh, but yeah, Jolie Richardson, I've never been a huge fan of things. I mean, she's in Dragon Tattoo. She was she was the wife on Nip Tuck. She was in The Tudors. <laughs> hmm. She looks a lot like her mom. I mean, so she would make a lot of sense. But I really like... And also, Vanessa Redgrave is still with us. She's 81 years old. She's kicking. Yeah. I mean, uh, it's not entirely clear whether or not she's not with us in the MI universe there. I mean, I guess she kind of sounds like she's talking past tense, but... Yeah, it seems like she's toasting them as deceased, but maybe maybe she's not, yeah. Oh, she was in need of anger, okay. Yeah. All right, but, um, where are we at, number eight? Um, yeah, my number eight is uh, Hunley, played by Alec Baldwin, the head mm-hmm. of IMF, the, for, <laughs> the, the ex-secretary now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have him a little bit higher. I had Solomon Lane at number eight. Um mm. I think they do a very impressive job of building this guy up a whole bunch without a whole lot of actual performance from him. Mm-hmm. It's just like the idea of Solomon Lane becomes very critical to everything. Just shows up in captivity. Yeah. And it's, he's just like there with a beard being, you know, he's got like a, a high, like creepy voice. He doesn't really do there, that much. Yeah. He's there in the very first scene of the movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, my number seven is Angela Bassett as Sloan, the head of the CIA. Again, all presence, all just slick, glamorous, smooth, authoritarian presence. Angela Bassett's fantastic. Uh, fucking use her more in things. I guess. I guess the thing about using her less and putting her in things like this is she just strikes up dividends the moment she walks on screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but yeah, I had. Um, I actually had Benji Dunn number seven there. Hmm. Uh, which isn't to say he's bad. He's just, there's so many other people in this movie. I did really like that. It's clear that Benji has been spending, you know, like from ghost protocol to here, who knows how many years that is like several years in the field. Right. That's the kind of the impression that you get. And so like, he is more of a capable fighter here. He's doing more stuff that you'd expect like an Ethan hunt Mm -hmm. or someone else to do. Like he's not purely guy in the chair. And I like that. They like, they've showed that progression for his character. He's not he's not he's, as good as Ethan at it, but he's still he does it. He's the guy who drives a speedboat now. Yeah. But God, he, those he's speedboat also shots still... where like he like flips a bitch in the speedboat and the, it's just like, yep, we're doing this right in the middle of like the sin. Yeah. But it, he still has that that thing where it's like it went really bad with uh Solomon Lane mm-hmm. last time and it still kind of affects him. Yeah. Uh, number six, I didn't want to double them up and I ran out of room and so it's it's Benji Dunn slash uh, Luther Bing Rames. Um, the the two guys who were kind of in the chair at times. I I would rate Simon Pegg's character lower just because it seems like he has less to do. Because like you said, Luther Luther is kind of the heart. Like he's the guy who who can talk about like the heart of Ethan Hunt at least. Um, it's especially crazy to me that Ving Rames has just been in the news because of this whole thing that the police yes. has this movie's coming out, which is oh. He's another one of these fucking situations where Ving Rhames' neighbor like called a DWB or something. I called the cops on mm. him because they thought a large black man was yeah. breaking into the house next door. Jesus Christ. 
It's being um, fucking like, reigns, yes, you asshole. He's an actor. Yeah. Yeah, it's like motherfucker. Have you not seen a movie? <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I had Erica Sloan, Angela Bassett, at number six. Um, I just found her presence just incredibly effective like you really get the sense that this is someone who will like order all the deaths of all these agents if it will you know be in the best interest of the united states that's the job yeah um with the the bit where he's just like you're gonna have to talk to the president about that and she's like i already did he agrees with me (laughs) (laughs) yeah she should she should be in so much more stuff could you see her talking to that asshole in the white house right now oh my god that, that would, yeah, that wouldn't go well, I don't think. That guy doesn't know. He would not know how to deal with uh, somebody with the kind just, of power of tell me Erica it's Sloan. Not the Russians. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Send the guy with that spectacular mustache. Uh, my number five is our girl Michelle Monaghan is Julia. Um, I guess the reason I put her so high is because there's a presence built into her in this movie, especially as we just keep kind of hinting towards her and like you have to know that she's coming like there's i mean she's in the she's in the fucking trailers and stuff but like you have to know like the stuff of julia is coming at the end she's going to play some part at the end and then when it shows up when she shows up it's a surprise it's perfect she's got some great scenes like you said she's mixing it up with the team she's helping out and she gives him the speech like i'm exactly where i need to be and i love my life and you know thanks to you i have that um, you know, cause prior to this, I worked in a hospital in a city and I had to hang out with guys like Greg Grunberg at parties and now I'm saving lives in the cashmere. So fuck. Yeah. Everything's coming up. Julia. Yeah. I mean, she is in the best scene in the movie, so she has that going for her. Mm-hmm. All right. Where are we at? Uh, number five for me is Hunley. I just, I feel like Alec Baldwin really elevated in this movie from hard ass boss to, something else i mean he almost knew he was gonna die when he was just like and they were like hey you're pretty good at this boss like welcome to the team or whatever you're like uh-oh <laughs> bad yeah. news for hunley yeah you know who we haven't talked about and it's not missing from this movie at all hmm. renner yeah no we don't miss him at all because i i, I, mean, I don't think i think there's something about jeremy renner that does not fit with like european spy kind of like gray morality like he just he wouldn't fit in with that he'd be too much of a stick in the mud i felt like he was tacked on to rogue nation honestly yeah he kind of was yeah that should have been paul Patton. um yeah he definitely would not fit in this movie um because i mean you have luther as the conscience of ethan you've got his two love interests you've got benji his kind of you know constant right hand man like foil type of person there's no room for a Jeremy Renner here. Like, what would he even be doing? Yeah. So my number four is the white widow, Vanessa Kirby. She is such a fascinating character. There's so little with her. She has like essentially three long scenes or three long sequences that she's in. Um, But Vanessa Kirby just fucking lights up the screen when she's in there. She's so fun. It's hard to look away from her. Um, Four four scenes, I'm sorry, four sequences. But like I'm just so curious about her character. And that's exactly how it should be, even if we don't see her in a future movie. Um she's just gonna always, I think, like get you curious and stay memorable to you. So um I really enjoyed the way. But also just anybody anytime a character can get away with like a nickname, like a kind of a cool mm-hmm. nickname that they're known by, a moniker. 
and she has like a lame brother who's who's known by presumably his real name. I mean, she's she's, she's the, the white widow, widow, and she has a butterfly knife that she straps to her thigh. Yeah, it mm-hmm. all works. Mm-hmm. And her garter belt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're at number four. Yes. Uh, my man, Luther Stickle. I really felt like being Rames' character got so much love and attention in this movie that he hasn't really gotten in movies past. Like I, they established way back in the first Mission Impossible movie that like this is the guy Ethan trusts more than anyone else. You know, like this guy has a conscience. Um, and I feel like they really, they bring that all out here. I thought he was going to die at the beginning of the movie. I was like, Oh shit, they're going to kill Luther. Um, and the fact that Ethan doesn't is kind of the thematic tension of the whole movie. Yeah. 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 Like I said, he's, he's been there since the beginning. He's the guy that Ethan hunt gets a drink with while they're listening to the cranberries mm-hmm. at the end of the first one. <laughs> Oh, Ethan? Yeah, he's a coworker of mine. <laughs> oh, Luther? Yeah, he's my best friend. Yeah. Yeah. Um, also, I don't know if you noticed like the, in the costume, I mean, I feel like like Benji is dressed like Dr. Jones through this whole movie, and Luther is dressed as Indiana. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Um Okay, now we're getting to the the real number three, right? yeah. <clears throat> All right, so I was contractually obligated for my number two. So my number three is going to be Augustus August Walkers Walker. yeah. slash John Lark. Strong uh, name. Strong name. August. Yeah. Um, also, what John Lark is a very strong name, too. Especially how much they constantly say John Lark. Like, not John, not Lark. John Lark. Mm-hmm. I, maybe they haven't met John Lark before. Or, who, who do you think John Lark is? Um, we're talking about the apostles and stuff. Their leader, John Lark. Um, but Cavill is, I, you know, I was always kind of like bemused by this, this casting for a while. The justice league thing was kind of hilarious to me. Cause I was like, man, that's a real weird way to stick it to another studio. Especially since like Cavill's, I feel like star was like, like lowering. Yeah. <laughs> like the shipping sink. Cause of the, the DC, I, I feel like he just got himself some new roles with this movie. They're like, Oh, he can be kind of yeah. a villain. Yeah. I, I, I did like a lot of people and did not see the man from uncle. Nope. <laughs> Which is funny to go from like one remake of a sixties uh, spy set <laughs> TV show to another. I'd be far more encouraged to see that movie if it wasn't directed by Guy Ritchie. Yeah, seriously. Um, but I loved him as the villain in this. I love just their weird, like their, their fucking intact, like their tango and cash at one point, mm-hmm. they're just so against each other and the, with their partners. And then, of course, they're bad. They're they're antagonists. So, yeah, well, I mean, we are probably going to have the same uh, top three here because I have August Walker at number three as well. He's just really effective. I mean, through most of the movie, I still wasn't entirely sure: is this guy truly a villain, or does he just think he's getting things done through you know his own methods? Yeah. Yeah, he's he's scary in the way that like you can imagine somebody like that working for the CIA would be scary and just that like nothing matters to them. They have no morality. It's like whatever the the ends are that they need to accomplish, the means don't matter. Well, the thing is, Ethan was not going to have like a fist fight with Solomon Lane. Like he ultimately like you needed a much different kind of villain, mm-hmm. you know, force of evil for him to deal with. Um and you see the doctor guy who's just like so anti-religion that he's, you know, I felt like the mission briefing kind of implied that this guy was kidnapped 
and forced into like doing the the evil of the apostles. And then you see the guy actually watching the news report and he's kind of thrilled that it all happened. It's like you have him and you have Solomon Lane. It's like some kind of combination of the two philosophically potentially is this bulky John Lark guy who's Mm -hmm. really working on his protein. Yeah, man, that guy works out. Yeah. Your mission, should you choose accept it, get your ass kicked. Yeah, so my number two, again, contractually bound by my heart, would not allow me to put her any lower than this, is the always alluring and immensely fascinating Ilsa Faust, played by Rebecca Ferguson. She's quite possibly one of the greatest names in all of like spy literature. Well, and Rebecca Ferguson, what she does with this movie is amazing. Because to me, she's an incredibly alluring, mysterious, fascinating character. And there's very little screen time for her. And you know what compared I, to a lot of other people. You know what I never noticed until this movie too is that she does look very similar to Michelle Monaghan. Like you can kind of like look at her, look at Michelle Monaghan, and then look at Emmanuel Bear and be like, oh, kind of has a type. Uh, yeah, I saw a tweet from like three days ago where somebody had a picture from on set of the two of them standing side by side, and the person was just like, "Come on, mm-hmm. you guys don't see this? Yeah, <laughs> seriously." Um, but yeah, you know, she's. She's the stuff where she's like trying to shoot Solomon Lane, and I thought he was dead. Oh yeah, totally. And like I was at first, I thought she, he was dead, and then I was like, oh, maybe it's bulletproof glass. And then like you see like the like big chunk of his ear missing, you're like, oh no, she was shooting to kill, and she almost yeah. did. But yeah, I was just like, oh shit, this movie's fucking bold. They just broke him out, and he is dead. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm thinking like, how are they gonna have to like use that? I was like, oh, this movie's just getting fascinating. But just to her, like like you said, like the little bits, like trying to catch up with them. And then just there, when she's rescuing them in the bathroom, and then she's showing up to rescue them in the, the club with Max. And then just that sachet through Paris when they meet up. And I was just like, God damn, she could not own this movie any harder. I was really worried. I felt like at the end of our last podcast, you were really shipping some kind of like Ethan Julia thing. I think this movie puts that to bed in a very satisfying way. But I was, it was one of those things where... It's you like, know, hey guys, she's happy. It's cool. It's Ilsa I, now. She's the she's I, this main squeeze. It's going to be fine. I joke a lot about the idea of shipping of things, but I guess there are a couple of things where I find myself like, yeah, I actually do want to see these two characters end up on a thing. And I'm like, I'm, I'm the one guy in this theater going into this movie who wants to see Ethan Hunt end up with Ilsa Faust just because it gets me more Rebecca Ferguson. Yeah, so yeah. So yeah, mm-hmm. she's my number two, clearly. Yeah, my number two as well. Um everything you just said cosine basically she's great in this movie rebecca ferguson what a i mean five movies in what an incredible addition to the cast to like create that character you know british mi6 agent just as complex as ethan even more perhaps morally compromised by the things she has to do mm-hmm. um yeah great character and not afraid to embrace that complexity mm-hmm well, in it's a like way these, that I don't think he could. These two kind of have this understanding of like, hey, I'm not trying to hurt you or anything. I'm going to do my best to like look out for you. But at the same time, like, don't make me go through you. Yeah. Yeah. But just like her stuff in, in the syndicate and the previous one is so good. And she's I think she has a strength to like just go into these dark places that he doesn't. Because mm-hmm. he's the guy who like, you know, you might consider it a flaw that he can't make that choice. But blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Oh uh, yeah, so our number one, of course, is the living manifestation of destiny, the the storm itself. Ethan he is Hunt. the living manifestation of destiny. Yes, I am the storm, Ethan Hunt. I feel like McCorey needs to address that line. I need to see if there's a commentary in that DVD and and see if he talks about that line. 
he is the storm. Uh, and man, what what a treat for the movie to start that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Ethan um, Tom Cruise is getting a little bit older, and yet I feel like this might be his best portrayal of Ethan so far. Like he kind of finds new depths to the character that we haven't really seen, but that that makes total sense within what we've gotten so far. Mm-hmm. Love the look. Like he's very much like tactile neck, like short hair, but not not like buzz cut short like he was in like MI one. Like he's got right. like a little bit of hair to work with there, but he's not like trying to like be like, you know, MI four, MI two Ethan. Um Yeah, I don't know. It's very interesting. This might be the last season that we see. I guess we'll have to find out if uh, he wants to do another one, but I'd say if it is, this is a good closure for the character here. Kind of surprised that we didn't get uh, the longer hair since he goes longer on, on the, the even uh, moves. Even, yeah. I think it works from here though. I, I feel like this is in many ways kind of like the, the kind of distillation of the even hunt character that we're getting in this movie. Yeah. Um, Cause he's, he's always been kind of, He's the proxy. I don't know. Can he be a proxy and a cipher at the same time? He's always been that. So just the idea. And I think sometimes I hate to say this, but I think sometimes a movie can get more out of the idea that we're going to go into the characters inner world or into their interior than actually forcing it. Like seeing his dreams is more than we've ever gotten before. And I think it totally works for me here. Well, and I think this is a character that we experience through his reactions to things. Like yeah. the scene with Julia and how he deals with her and Wes Bentley tells us so much about his character that's very interesting that, you know, we, we don't need a monologue from him to get that. Well, and you're not gonna get it. Like Yeah, he would never you're not get gonna one. you're not gonna be able to set up situations like you did in Ghost Protocol where they talk about something like, Oh, it must have been hard for you. Did you get did you get some kind of closure when you killed the men who killed your wife? And the look he gives her has all these layers. It's like you're not gonna get those opportunities here. So we almost need to give you just this kind of sense of what he's afraid of without dialogue. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, would you recommend this movie? Fuck yes. Fuck yes. Yeah. If you like action movies at all, you got to go see this movie. This, this is definitely like in the pantheon of good action movies, the stunts they do, the action scenes, attention, it's all pretty fucking incredible. Mm -hmm. It's long. It's about two and a half hours. Yeah, take a pee break beforehand. Um, it definitely felt its length. Like to me, Ghost Protocol, and and that's that's two way street because sometimes a movie feels really long and it's bad, mm-hmm. and sometimes a movie feels really long and it feels like just like a fucking delicious meal. And I'm like, man, I'm glad I didn't eat for two days because I am going to fucking go to town on this food. Big beefy steak. Uh, yeah. Whereas like Ghost Protocol to me doesn't doesn't feel long at all. That movie just zips. Yeah, this movie, so, it it feels long only in the sense that, like, you feel drained at the end of it, but you should, you know? You're, yeah. At the end, you're just like, fuck. Yeah. How did they get out of that one? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm at a real dilemma now. Of, like, wh- do I rate this higher than Ghost Protocol? I mean, they're very different oh, movies. Man. That's tough. You know, I just rewatched the first one. I am never going to rewatch the second one unless I seriously have like nothing else to watch at all. And I come on a desert Island or something. It I've seen, I've been seeing a lot of love for three lately. I've been seeing rankings where that's like number two or number three. Hmm. Um, 
I don't know. And so much of it's down to taste. I mean, I really feel like the last few of these movies have been like incredibly well crafted. It really, I wonder what Christopher McQuarrie is going to do next. Cause he, I kind of feel like maybe he was all the talent behind usual suspects. So apparently he's, he's been Tom Cruise's guy for a lot longer than I thought. Yeah. So apparently McQuarrie like did, a rewrite, did a rewrite on ghost protocol, which makes sense. He apparently, uh, well, obviously there's, there's Jack Reacher. Mm-hmm. Um, but apparently he, he did a quite a big rewrite on edge of tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, like I, Obviously, like there's some kind of symbiotic thing going on, or like, Cruz gets him and he gets Cruz, and they work well together. I wonder if that Jack Reacher sequel did well enough for a third one. I mean, it was such dog shit, though. Like, it seems like they they went and hired like a crappy director and like didn't put any effort into it at all. So, I don't they, know. I mean, I know there's tons of books they could do, like more Jack Reacher movies. Though. Went and got like the um, the thirty something guys, I think. The thirty something guys. Yeah, the guys who did thirty something, and then they also did um, like the Great Wall, that movie. Hmm. Yeah, passed. Might have been the Last Samurai guy too. Really? Like uh, Zwick? I might be talking on my ass there. I don't know. That seems like it would be a big step down for him. Jack Reacher two. No, no, never not go Zwick. back. That's no, he didn't. Never go back. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah, that was Edward Zwick. Wow, what happened? Eesh, yikes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what Christopher McQuarrie is going to do next, but I'd be very interested. It, I mean, it definitely seems like when uh, put in the right situations, he can bring it seriously. No, I don't think he's the 30 something guy. Sorry. I, there's another guy who has a very similar name that I think of who's like the 30 something guy. But uh, yeah. Boy, what a, what a filmography that includes Jack Reacher Never Go Back, mm-hmm. which. You know what? That's one of those meta statements you don't want to have associated with your franchise. Yeah. Never go back. Uh, all right. Well, that was Mission Impossible Fallout. Uh, how do you feel about maybe doing a little mini hiatus for the next week or two? I could see that. I feel like we're due for a break. I've been, I've been thinking about that. So that, that makes sense to me. And then we've got we've got a couple of options, I think, for mm-hmm. movies when we return. I think on the, our Star Wars podcast, we posited the idea of Hudson Hawk. Um, so yeah, I mean, this is another great opportunity for folks to maybe reach out to us and suggest some stuff. Yeah. Um, um in the back of my mind, edge of 17, I feel like that would be a good one for us. That's a, that's a really good movie. Mm-hmm. I, I really enjoyed that. Have you seen it? I have not. No, I, it's kind of funny. I was watching that fucking Bumblebee trailer before oh, this God, movie. That fucking trailer. Don't get me started on that fucking trailer. Well, that movie looks so stupid, but I'm it's like, like, Oh, I'm Stanfield. <laughs> could be a great like film presence because she's fantastic in edge of 17 and she's not terrible in the pitch perfect movies uh it's just God, like transformers brought to you by like fucking the secret life of walter Mitty or something and it's like the soundtrack in that trailer is so absurd and every time in the theater like some jackass laughs the stupid like rickroll thing at the end like why why are you laughing at that it's not funny oh i forgot so there's about 30 people in the theater with me yesterday morning watching uh, Fallout. Uh-huh. And we're all just kind of like, yeah, you know, laughing here and there. We should. When uh, when Walker gets the hook in the face, mm. this one woman in the back is just like, whoa. You know, it was a little bit of a weird thing in mind before the movie started. There was like, in my opinion, a pretty bad trailer for Infinity War and Blu-ray. I don't okay. know if you got one of those. No. But like about... 
15 people behind me start clapping at the end of it. Like they were that impressed with Infinity War, they're willing to like congratulate a bad trailer for the Blu-ray. I was like, huh, okay. Hmm. Anyway. Yeah, so we're going to take a little hiatus here. We'll be back in a few weeks. And uh, if you have any thoughts for stuff you'd like us to cover, definitely feel free to reach out. But think think topical, you guys. Like, think, like, you should do this because blah, blah, blah is happening. Like, um, I'm not saying we're lazy, but I'm saying that we're tired. And we're lazy. So. <laughs> All right. Sure. Uh, until then, have a good one. Bye-bye.